1: We are <laughs> welcome to stay the one, the only. Magic Mike. Yes, you, be, you, be, you, be, you, you are the husband that they never had. You are that dreamboat guy that never came along. That's a cool table. are you made that mm-hmm. You should sell these things. That's
0: actually the idea. My sister? Mike. Uh, oh, nice thank one. you, Mike. How do you know my brother? I'm an entrepreneur. I uh, manage a few businesses. I'm trying to hit on my sister. Okay, uh, good talk.
1: Entrepreneur stripper, stripper entrepreneur. Either one. I was hoping this was all a joke.
0: It's pretty funny. Hello and welcome to the This Had Oscar Buzz podcast. The only podcast that will pretend to commit jury tampering in order to goad Randy Travis into a fight. Every week on This Had Oscar Buzz we'll be talking about a different movie that once upon a time had lofty Academy Award aspirations but for some reason or another it all went wrong. The Oscar hopes died and we are here to perform the autopsy. I'm your host Joe Reed. I'm here as always with my co-host, the original King of Tampa, Chris File. <laughs> Welcome, Chris. Good morning. What a fine shade of leopard print you are wearing! This, I am I am
1: only wearing leopard print. This is not the Tiger King. This is <laughs> um, the Tiger a very, King of Tampa. I know. I I am in an outfit that is. Uh, listen, this one is for the ladies.
0: This one is for the ladies. I will say. Speaking of the
1: Tiger King, though, you can picture him
0: going to see, uh, a, a Kings oh, of Tampa. But I right? don't want
1: to picture him going to see the Kings of Tampa. But,
0: You can. Like, it feels like, it feels like. Dallas in this movie feels like a, a, a peripheral character who would have showed up for, like, a 30-second interview in that series, right? Like, mm-hmm. he wasn't part
1: of the whole thing, but, like, he knew enough people involved. Right. In One it. of the deleted scenes of Tiger King is him going to the Kings of Tampa and then interviewing, like, the managerial staff, and they're like, he would come in and just blow $10,000 in a night, something <laughs> yes. like that, something Yeah, crazy. exactly. But also, like, Ugh. he and Dallas had, like, a a get-rich-quick
0: scheme, like, happening that never got off the ground. But, like, they had, like, big plans for something, right? (laughs) Uh, 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 Like, he was, like, an angel uh, uh. investor in some sort of, like, scam.
1: He tried to rope him into a pornography business or something. Oh, yeah.
0: Absolutely. 100%. That's absolutely... Because, like, that is... The vibe of Magic Mike, I think, at its core is this very sort of like... I know Tiger King is Oklahoma and not Florida. But like Tiger King also has a very Florida vibe, let's just say that. like, there's, Yeah. <laughs> and I feel like
1: that's... <laughs> it what- is the epitome of Florida man.
0: Yes, absolutely. Uh, yeah. And I think Magic Mike, that's one of the many virtues of Magic Mike, is that it gets how Tampa everything in that movie is like the good and the bad like the you know whatever sandbar parties and also like basically just
1: like surrounded on all sides by like scuzzy hustlers and like that's fine you know but that it also kind of like represents all of consumerism and that like we as all consumers are all trash and all consumerism is trash
0: that was sort of how the, the line about magic mike you know as it went on, was just, like, it's about the economy. Like, it's sort of like how uh, Logan was a Western. Like, did you mm-hmm. hear that Magic Mike is really about the economy? Like,
1: I mean, Logan is not a Western, and Magic Mike... Is more about the economy than Logan is a Western, but like I'm not going to get into a debate about whether Logan's a Western. No. I'm not going to get into a debate whether <laughs> anything is, a, is yeah. a Western unless it's Magic Mike. Uh, Magic Mike is a Western, famously. Um, it's also a screwball comedy. It's a lot it is of also things. all of these things that all movies are, but actually they are this.
0: It is also I I realized watching it again, and especially compared to Magic Mike Double XL, like you can really tell which one is the Soderbergh movie, which one is, like, you know, muted both in sort of palette and tone. (laughs) Well,
1: it does help that a higher percentage of Magic Mike is all yellow. Because Mm. this is one of the Soderbergh movies that it's like Soderbergh was, like, prepping the camera and said, what if yellow? What if yellow? What if just a real gauzy yellow?
0: Yeah, totally. Um... But as as we have mentioned, we are going to be talking about Magic Mike this week. You saw it Mm -hmm. on when you clicked download this podcast. It is not a surprise to you. Magic Mike, the cock and kings of Tampa and all... None of them, none of those Kings of Tampa were nominated for Oscars, and that is a huge bummer, specifically when we're talking about one of them, and we'll get into that, of course. Magic Mike 2012 movie directed by Steven Soderbergh, written by Reed Car- Carolyn, I'm gonna say, Carolin, Carolin, um, mm-hmm. Reed is spelled R-E-I-D, the right way, uh, based in part on Channing Tatum's real-life history as an exotic dancer, starring Channing Tatum. Alex Pettifer, who, <laughs> imagine my surprise watching this movie, and just like, oh, right, Alex <laughs> Petifer
1: is like kind of one of the main characters of this movie. Alex Petifer, who is so we will definitely get into it, like so far gone from the culture already ready that he didn't make it into your indistinguishable white blonde male actor game. Uh huh. Oh yeah,
0: he has completely completely. He can't him. even make it there, man. No, no. It's and 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 if he had made it in there, it would have seemed strange because it's just like, why are we even talking about Alex Petifer? We don't talk about. Um, oh, who was that kid who, I mean, also Cam Jigande could, not like, you know, has also passed relevance, so he couldn't be in that. But who was the guy, remember that movie Fighting with Cam Jigande and the other one who was in the one, I um... I thought that was
1: a Channing Tatum movie. You're right. Shit. There was another... There's a whole subset of, like, this category of actor that is, like, could be confused for Channing Tatum... Oh, yes. Like that, Channing like, Tatum Channing Tatum passed.
0: created a type for a while there. Absolutely. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, no, but the movie I'm thinking of is, because you're right, Fighting was the one with Channing Tatum and a very strange Terrence Howard. Do you remember how odd Terrence Howard is in that whole movie?
1: I never, You know I didn't see that movie.
0: <laughs> never Back Down is the movie I was thinking of, and the star oh, of that movie yes. was
1: Sean Ferris. I should
0: have remembered that name, who everybody was like, he looks exactly like Tom Cruise. He's going to be like a huge thing. And not true. Absolutely Ooh. not. Um, and that movie starred Amber Heard, who was the Cody Horn who... Um, was allowed to make other movies after <laughs> after a while. <laughs> Cody Horn, not given that luxury. Um, also starring Matthew McConaughey, of course. We'll get into that for sure. Matt Bomer, Joe Manganiello, Adam Rodriguez, Kevin Nash, Olivia Munn, Gabriel Iglesias, and, surprise, Riley Keough, who I had forgotten was in this movie. Yes. So, and not in an Alex Pettifer way, but in a like, oh, what a lovely surprise. Riley Keough was yeah. in this movie before I even knew who she was
1: what were you doing in Tampa that you showed up for two <laughs> yeah, hours? Much like Robert Duvall and widows. They just sort
0: of like showed up and Riley Keough was just like, yeah, film it. It's fine. Yeah. Hey guys. Hey guys. what's up? Um, premiered <laughs> at the Los Angeles film festival on June 24th, 2012 opening wide a mere five days later on June 29th. It was a success. Critics mm-hmm. liked it. Uh, audiences liked it it was the mahogany of its time men loved it women loved it you know <laughs> they all loved it they all um, I, I can never think of boy uh rupaul's drag race has kind of ruined mahogany for me because i can't <laughs> watch that scene that great diana ross scene from mahogany where she says that women
1: are you kidding did you see those people they love me they all love me the men love me the women love me mahogany
0: women love me, men love me, I'm a winner, baby, all that stuff, Um, without Milan from Drag Race. Milan, notably
1: my least, yes.
0: Horrible Snatch Game impression. And then Ross Matthews being like,
1: oh, Oh, the men love me, the women love me, they all love me. This was a real heavy Diana Ross. This was like Diana Ross about 4.30 in the morning after a couple packs of cigarettes. Genuinely the crunchiest Snatch Game ever. Yeah, yeah, that's kind of true. Good way to put it.
0: All right, Chris, you're not going to put this off any longer. We're going no, to get to No, I'm
1: here. I am here to talk about a sexy illusionist. <laughs> Aren't we all sexually illusionists <laughs> at the end of the day? <laughs> um,
0: but you are going to get 60 seconds to sum up the plot of Magic Mike. I'm not going to put a lot of pressure on you, but I'm just going to say uh, the plot of Magic Mike's kind of not so not so daunting. I don't think yeah, there's it's a lot so of not so bad. I'm not nervous turns. this time. All I'm right. Not so, I, I think uh, I 60 can do seconds are on the clock.
1: Ready when you are. Uh, I'm ready. All right, and go. Okay, Magic Mike is about Magic Mike. Is he a magician? No, he is a stripper, but he also wants to start his own business uh, making like weird furniture for people, but it seems like kind of a pipe dream in an Etsy shop. Um, So instead, he is a stripper. He does construction on the side and meets this kid named Adam, who's 19 years old, ropes him into his stripping show, which is run by Matthew McConaughey named Dallas. Uh, It is uh, the... Uh, wonderful Kings of Tampa, they do strip shows for women. 30 Oh, 30 seconds. Great. Uh, Mike falls kind of like with a crush on Adam's sister. Her name is Brooke. She is incredibly skeptical about the whole enterprise and Mike as a person. Uh, cut to uh, Adam being incredibly influenced by this world and they go to do a like strip party at a sorority and they Ten get seconds. busted uh, and there's like a fight breaks out and he leaves a backpack that's filled with $10,000 worth of ecstasy that he leaves and then it, uh, Adam basically screws Mike over with this and- and Mike, uh, leaves the business. Time! Time! Well I done. mean, that's kind of what happens. There's also, like, the show is trying to go from Tampa to Miami, so it's, like, supposedly this, mm. like, upgrade right, that's and happening. Right, Dallas screws Mike over,
0: because Dallas had promised him equity, and Mike, all of a sudden, he wants more, and he he wants to have yeah. breakfast with He like
1: can't get ahead in any way. He wants to like be a serious like small business person with his furniture business. Like, he made a table in his house from like some shit that like washed up on the beach that looks like a wind turbine.
0: Do you remember? I mean, I this feels like maybe it's a thing that's still going on, but this sort of trope of like, oh, he may be like incredibly like attractive, but he also builds furniture. This sort of like sexy, the, the sexy trope of the man who like makes things with his hands like he, his they, home he makes is a like a wagon wheel coffee table
1: <laughs> the entire interior decoration in his home is like wood panels but not right. the tacky kind mm-hmm. it's like it's all very aspirational but at the same time he's still a very nice dirt bag at the same time
0: you could never allow a character like that to it to show any kind of enthusiasm for interior decorating but clearly this man has put a lot of thought into interior decorating so like it's one of those things where it's just like oh I just like I just rolled out of bed and everything is reclaimed wood like it's first of all (laughs) speaking of just rolled out of bed this movie introduces itself to you uh, with Channing Tatum's beautiful butt
1: just like sashaying right across your movie screen. And like the type of, what are the what do you call those like 3D things that if you stare into them you a can see eye? another picture. Yeah, it's like his thighs become a magic eye where you swear multiple times in like 3 seconds that you might have just seen his penis. Yes. And, and like the movie fully wants that. I would totally buy that being a visual effect because like this is this is what the movie is kind of about. It's like commodifying him immediately to the audience where it's like he is just his body.
0: Uh, yes, yes, it's 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 speaking in a visual language. Also, you can correct me, or our listeners can correct me if I'm wrong. But I'm pretty sure there was an almost identical scene in Dear John, um, the Nicholas Sparks movie that he did with Amanda Seyfried, where I feel like you get to see his butt in a very sort of like gratuitous bathroomy way. Yeah, and truly, you know, the golden era of Channing Tatum's butt, because I'm pretty sure we don't ever see it again in a movie after this right like we'll sure talk a bit about how XL. like
1: in what i'm sure you see it in double xl i feel like double xl is distinctly less thongs than magic mike see
0: okay but i'm also going to place a distinction between any kind of nudity that we see in the stripping scenes versus like non-strip like non-professional oh, sure, nud- you know what sure, i mean sure, just like sure, sure, we're sure, seeing sure. mike in an unguarded moment we're seeing but
1: but like yeah it's like diegetic nudity
0: <laughs> but like i think outside of the magic mike movies from this point on channing tatum i think probably makes an active decision to be less cheesecakey in films like even mm-hmm. something like dumb old jupiter ascending um where he's like, you know, so covered boy.
1: he has a goatee.
0: Right, right. Um, yeah, but it's just like he's, you know, he's an adventurer. He's not, you know, he's not like sexy man or just like you know Logan Lucky or whatever. <laughs>
1: uh, I mean, you, he is naked and fox catcher but that is not sexy. No, right. There's nothing sexy at all about anything
0: in Foxcatcher, which is really interesting because it's so much about this just like masculinity. I could probably mm-hmm. write a paper if I were still in school on like Channing Tatum and performative masculinity in mm-hmm. film because like he's weirdly like his career deals with that a lot. Channing Tatum's career yeah. is fascinating to me. I texted you last night and I was like, can we talk about what happened To Channing Tatum and, like, where he went? And your answer was, like, kind of very simple. And maybe, like, we don't really need to delve into it too much. I think
1: there's some personal life stuff going on there. His marriage to Jenna Dewan ended in... But, like, there's... We have Logan Lucky in recent years, and then it's, like... A B part in the Kingsman sequel. He's one of the ensemble members in Hail Caesar. Right, it's a lot of ensemble
0: cameo. Not a whole like in terms of leading roles since because like Magic Mike happens and it's like an insane year for him. We talk about the McConaissance and we certainly will, but like 2012 was a huge year for Channing Tatum because he does Magic Mike and 21 Jump Street in the same year. And I really, I am the king of, speaking of the kings of Tampa, I am the king of making sure people don't forget A, how great 21 Jump Street was, and B, how great it was for his career because it really established him as somebody who was good at comedy. And I always thought that that was true, back to that... Dumb Ron Howard movie, The Dilemma, where which was bad, but well, I guess that was only the year before. Whatever. I remember watching The Dilemma, and I'm just like, wait a second, hot ass Channing Tatum is really funny in this. Like, what's going on? And Twenty One Jump Street absolutely like solidified that, proved it. He's incredibly funny in that movie. It's incredibly good. And then so that combined with Magic Mike, all of a sudden, it's just like, oh shit! Like, he's in White House Down now. He's in. G.I. Joe retaliation. I guess it like it was expected to probably keep going because then like twenty two Jump Street happens in 2014. Mm-hmm. Same here as Foxcatcher. Foxcatcher, unfortunately, and kind of inevitably, he gets overshadowed by Steve Carell and Mark Ruffalo. Both of them get Oscar nominations. I think Channing Tatum is great in Foxcatcher.
1: Yeah, I think that's his best performance.
0: I think he's wonderful in that. And then but then 2015 is a weird year because it's Jupiter ascending, but also or it's Magic Mike XXL, but also Jupiter ascending. And I think the success of Magic Mike XXL doesn't balance out the thud that Jupiter ascending does. Mm-hmm. And I think you see after that the only time he gets a lead since that is with Soderbergh in Logan Lucky, which he's great in. But again, that movie is a commercial flop which you know Mm -hmm. unfortunately because that's a really good movie
1: yeah i love that movie
0: now the only thing on his docket is this movie dog that is supposed to come out in 2021 lord knows what anybody's production schedules are anymore but it's him and reed carolyn teaming up again for what essentially seems like male wild like he's just walking the Pacific Coast Highway. <laughs> but
1: also with a dog, so it's like right. we've we've seen those movies. Those movies are not usually very good. So sure. it's not too promising. What's
0: interesting is according to Wikipedia, his marriage to Jenna Duan ends like they get divorced in twenty nineteen, but they had been separated for a while there because he was dating Jesse J for Mm -hmm. at least a couple years, right? That was one of those, just like, did you know that Channing Tatum and Jesse J are together? Because, like, unless you were on Instagram, how would you know? Because the
1: Instagram between those two of them...
0: Yeah, but, like, other than that, like, that was sort of, like, his career. Like, from 2016 on, he's really made very, very few movies, and like I said, only Logan Lucky has been in a lead. Like, the Lego movies don't count, because he's, like, he voices Superman, who is not a main character in any of those kingsman the golden circle is a supporting role and a pretty s- brief one as far as i remember um small foot's a voice role hail caesar mm-hmm. as we said is a great a great little highlight of that movie he has of course the no dames production number that is like another movie that's like
1: that movie. you could totally include in the performing masculinity right of Channing Tatum,
0: but even in that movie, he's not a lead, and even among the supporting players, he gets overshadowed by like Alden Ehrenreich and Ray Fiennes, mm-hmm. which is too bad. Um, but he's so talented. I think he's so good. Um, I was reading in preparation for this. Uh, Grantland had a profile of Reed Carolyn, because I wanted to sort of like see what their professional relationship is because like they have a very um, Sort of like producer star kind of a thing, and Reed Carolyn writing the screenplay. I'm like, it had a vibe of like, you know, he's sort of like channeling obviously Channing Tatum's personal history. Mm-hmm. And they had apparently, Reed Carolyn had worked as like Kimberly Pierce's, like, basically right hand man on Stop Loss. And ah. so that was when he and Channing Tatum met and sort of began this sort of creative partnership that had gone on and so, in this article I'm reading, they had mentioned, and this was this article was just before Double x l happened uh, came out, and it mentioned that Channing had had been looking to essentially produce more and act less, mm-hmm. and that was before you know the sort of the bottom kind of fell out. That was you know, Jupiter Ascending had already opened, but still. Um but it's not like he's producing a whole ton either. Do you know what I mean? Like
1: yeah.
0: it just really does feel like there's been some kind of like tactical retreat. And I don't know. It's a it's a it's a bummer for me
1: it'll be exciting whenever he comes back hopefully in a movie that's not a dog movie i was going to say let him fucking dance again honest. he's so like to just be like make a p- third magic mike he's such a good like
0: pure entertainer make sure, make a third mm-hmm. magic mike absolutely like i didn't like 20 22 jump street much but just like make another comedy make another like really dumb broad comedy make a movie mm-hmm. with um what's this he could have been one of the guys in Neighbors. Do you know what I mean? Like, that kind of, like, that level of a comedy. Something smart, but also, like, that knows how to use him. He could have been the, um, you know, he could have been in a movie like Game Night. Yeah. You know what I mean? He could have been
1: an Apatow lead.
0: Oh, absolutely. He absolutely could have. And probably a more interesting one than some of the ones that he's had. But, um, yeah. Channing Tatum. I miss him. I think he's really good in this movie. That's the other thing. is like, mm -hmm. McConaughey rightly gets a a ton of the attention because what McConaughey is doing and you know, we'll touch on this soon is astounding, but I think Channing Tatum for being the sort of, you know, the center of this movie that still has to share that kind of lead role with Pettifer who he really shows up Pettifer in this movie and Mm -hmm. he's, his chemistry with Olivia Munn in that opening scene where it's the two of them, sort of like getting dressed in the morning, and then the girl who they had the threesome with is still just like knocked out on the bed, um, <laughs> asleep. But I think their their chemistry together is really really great. I know a lot of people don't love Olivia Munn. I do kind of. I think she, I you know, from a show as sort of crappy and uneven as the newsroom. I think she's so funny in that. Um, but I, it made this made me want to watch another whole movie
1: of the two of them together. Mm-hmm. Channing Tatum is really good in this movie and I think like some of the the things that he's really good at and like the type of complicated people that he plays very well are people like this character who are struggling with something and it's usually like a masculinity type of thing it's also the same is true for Foxcatcher but Mm -hmm. they're also people who don't have a lot of depth to them or don't have like a vernacular to express like whatever their emotion is or to like properly grapple with like and come out ahead of whatever their certain like character challenges are and like Mm -hmm. that doesn't sound very interesting in and of itself as far as a character description goes but Channing Tatum makes it really really compelling to watch.
0: And also, and they like, write in this Cody Horn character, who's not—I don't think—is a very good character, and is not played particularly interestingly. No. But they essentially write in a character who's like essential; whose function in the movie is to call bullshit on him at all times. Like even mm-hmm. at the sort of like this, this crucial point in the movie when we we the audience are on his side, we the audience believe in him. And this, like, love interest character at this very crucial point in the movie is just like, no, like, I don't I don't buy this and I never did. Like, you're not gonna, you know, start your own business. You're not gonna, you know, make a go of this furniture building thing. And it's almost like within his own story he's building in this sort of self-doubt about whether he can make it. And it's just like, you just I hope at some point he realized that, like, He is this good, because... I mean, obviously, he starts out Tatum's career with, like, uh, She's the Man and Step Up. And it's, like, both of them 2006, it's, like, this incredible, just, like, oh, new hot guy on the premises. Mm -hmm. But that's basically all he was for a lot of years, even when he's in this movie, like, Guide to Recognizing Your Saints, which, A, like, nobody saw, and, B, it's just sort of... you know, sort of, like, grungy tough guy or whatever, but still, mm-hmm. just, like, his looks were so uh, overshadowing everything, and it took a while for people to realize. I mean, even in, like, Public It took enemies.
1: the lust to really kick in, because, correct me if I'm wrong, Stop Loss is the movie where he... Is he the one who's, like, digging in his underwear in the rain? Yes. Oh, yeah. Same we can all thank Kimberly Pierce we for sure enacting this, we but sure like it took like some, it took like an overt image of sexualizing him, even though like that's a, a pretty harrowing movie. Right. Um, yeah, almost everything yeah, to like kind of kick it into gear for him because after then is when like the GI Joe movie happens. He's a romantic lead in a Nicholas Sparks movie. Mm-hmm. Did you ever see the Eagle? I saw the Eagle in the theater. I was like that
0: much on board for Channing Tatum.
1: Oh, really? I I was gonna ask you if this was a movie that you just showed up and said, "What is playing right now?" No,
0: I I was because also uh, I feel like that director was somebody. Oh, it's Kevin MacDonald, and I had really loved... Um, really? Uh, He's the director of The Last King of Scotland, but I had really loved the documentary that he had made about um, the Munich Olympics called One Day in September. Um, but he had also directed The Last King of Scotland and the State of Play remake, which I think is like probably a better movie than I give it credit for. I had just loved the original British version so much. So... Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah the eagle is Channing Tatum and Jamie Bell as like Roman he's I remember a, the poster he's yeah. a Roman centurion and like Jamie Bell is his like boy slave which like a, you know could have gone <laughs> campier and it wasn't it's played it's played sort of like very disappointingly straight up and down which is kind of dumb because like Channing Tatum is a Roman centurion and Jamie Bell is his slave so like is sure
1: right. Yeah. Looking at Channing Tatum's filmography a little bit, you also have to wonder if this retreat that we're talking about is a little bit exhaustion based. Because like he, sure, he's done a lot of voice work too, and a lot of cameos and such. But like he has an insane amount of credits too. Like oh, we've forgotten mm. a lot of these movies, but like how many credits does he have? Two thousand nine. There's three. Only two I for think that's 2010. what makes.
0: I think that's what also contributes to making the lower output since Double XL mm-hmm. sort of stand out more. Like he right, just he, wants
1: to take a break, probably.
0: Very possibly, but yeah, he's because like throughout his rise, he was bit. constantly
1: working. Yeah, and we don't really in, like, recognize that because we forget these movies. <laughs>
0: yeah, and one of those movies that he's barely in is Haywire, which, mm-hmm. um. Another Wait, sorry. I want apart. I want to back up. It's not Dear John that I think he has the gratuitous butt shot. I think it's another 2012 movie, which everybody's forgotten, called The Vow, which is him yeah. and Rachel McAdams mm-hmm. in a romantic drama. I don't even think it's a comedy. I think it's like yes, some something... is, is that the Amnesia movie? There's That's some type of is. Amnesia, right? That's what it is. Is she gets into a car accident? and Uh, she can't remember anything and he tries to like get her to remember him and she can't and then she ends up like going and moving on to this other guy but like obviously they're meant to be together and yeah it's a whole thing it is not a very good movie it was a big hit but I think it's a bum bum uh, movie for him for Channing Tatum for sure and again same year 2012 so even like what a great year what a great year for Channing Tatum and for all of us, truly.
1: Yes. I don't know. I mean, like, yeah, like, that's not really a movie that I think has stuck in the consciousness, even though it's like we don't really have many of those movies anymore. Oh, that movie has completely disappeared. And it made sure. a ton of money.
0: He's um, also... So it's like his career's kind for... of filled with those. And he's also a lot of, like... He'll just like sort of like show up for a cameo. Basically, that's him in the Lego movies. It's just like, yeah, I'll voice mm-hmm. Superman for like a scene and a half. But also, remember him in Don John, where he's in the movie within mm-hmm. a movie in Don John. Him and uh, with Anne Hathaway. Anne Hathaway, yeah. Essentially, doing like a Nicholas Sparks movie trailer, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, that's funny. Oh, that was a good part of that movie. That movie is puts up a lot of barriers to liking it. <laughs> Um, including like Joseph Gordon-Levitt in one of his movies where he's just like, I'm going to do a
1: voice. Like him in uh, in Snowden for whatever reason he's just like I'm going to do a voice. I never voice. saw Snowden. Yeah, even like the good things about it are kind of repulsive. Like I'm, Scarlett Johansson is incredible in that movie, but even she is kind of doing a bit. Scarlett um,
0: Johansson playing her Marble Columns character from Saturday Night Live <laughs> in that movie, but she's so much fun. Like I kind of love her in
1: that movie. Julianne how, Moore, like I was fully say, showing up to that movie to be like, like to the.
0: the like the moral center of that yeah, movie,
1: yeah. Like showing up to be like the supporting actress nominee of that movie yes. for this like very like weird plot. I don't know. Like it, Don it, John's it, almost a movie I want to watch
0: again now and just be like, what do I make of it seven years later? Right, right.
1: So strange.
0: All right, let's move on from Channing Tatum because we could talk about him all day. I want to talk and the, about... the
1: jury remains out. We we hope he comes back soon.
0: I really do hope he comes back soon. I really am a big fan. I have been for a while. Uh, Steven Soderbergh is a big part of the reason why Magic Mike had Oscar buzz. Although the thing about Magic Mike's Oscar buzz is I think it it didn't arrive until people saw it. And I think mm-hmm. that is kind of rare for a movie that a lot of people saw coming down the pike. Do you know what I mean? Like, usually, a movie that doesn't get Oscar buzz until people have seen it is, like, an indie, something at Sundance, something that's, like, really right. unknown. Whereas, like, this, everybody... Like, this. the production of this movie was pretty well covered because when you say Channing Tatum is making a movie about his own past as an exotic dancer... Um, With
1: Steven Soderbergh.
0: Well, that's the thing. And then all of a sudden, Soderbergh hops on. Because Tatum initially... The, in- the production of this movie is kind of interesting because he had been talking sort of privately in like private conversations about maybe wanting to write this movie, to make this movie of sort of the story of his life in these, you know, male strip clubs and wanted Nicholas Winding Refn to direct it. And it just Ooh. like never, I know, can you imagine what Ooh. that movie would have turned out to be? How like <laughs> weirdly like... Can you imagine Overly like the masculine. drug
1: subplots in this movie under Nicholas Winding Refn? Well, it would I, be like Alex Petifer would get his face peeled off. Yes. It would be What?
0: Well, well, when he, so he's shopping this movie around a little bit and there was a lot of different ways that other filmmakers wanted to do it and like a lot of them really wanted to like amp up the scuzziness, the drugginess, the sort of like I'm sure there was probably would have been like a kidnapping some plot somewhere and like you have to like mm-hmm. shoot your way out of a thing or like at the very least some sort of like boogie nights thing where like we're in over our heads and someone's yeah. gonna die. Uh, I I like that this movie didn't go there. There was also, apparently, someone had approached them with, like, almost a musical version of this. Which well,
1: they want to make a musical of this on Broadway, which, I've, of course, they will be. It's
0: interested. such an obvious idea. If Broadway ever recovers, they need to make yeah. a Magic Mike musical. Coming in 2023
1: back. to the Nederlander Theater, Magic uh, Mike, the musical starring... It'll bring starring, Broadway back. Uh,
0: Truly, it'll, it'll save us all. Yeah. Starring, yeah, who would that be starring? Um, I mean, God, take your pick. Everybody on Broadway is fucking jacked
1: as hell. It's crazy. Right. Um, it basically just be a uh, Broadway bears.
0: Yes, essentially, and honestly, we deserve it. We need it. Sure, um,
1: sure, sure, sure. But so, I then, hope it's a genuine jukebox musical. I just gotta say, yeah.
0: <laughs> but then, so uh, Channing Tatum takes this really small role in Haywire, which was supposed mm-hmm. to be. Soderbergh's last movie before he retired, and I'm making sarcastic air quotes because, like, retirement... Do you you ever see people mourning Daniel Day-Lewis's retirement on Twitter and just want to laugh? Right,
1: exactly. It's like, Paul Thomas Thomas Anderson will just write another role for him.
0: What does retirement mean? It means you're waiting... Like, Daniel Day-Lewis isn't a a movie-every-year kind of a person, anyway. Like, he's waiting for the next movie that will draw him out of retirement.
1: Sure, sure, sure. Soderbergh. Didn't the boxer, wasn't the boxer even like looped up in that? Like the boxer was supposed to be his last
0: role? I don't know. I'm committed to mentioning the boxer every week on this podcast because we really
1: do keep bringing it up. (laughs) The boxer. Um, But the thing about Channing Tatum in the lead up to this movie is it was kind of a little bit more um, sold to us purely on Channing Tatum and like his story. Learning about his backstory and all of this or like this instead of it being this weird factoid that he used to be a stripper or like something that would be an angle on like you know uh, interviews or something. Right. It like kind of dove into that in this purient way and people almost kind of forgot wait this is a Soderbergh stripper movie.
0: Well that's the thing and so I, I just uh, the interesting thing about it is that Tatum takes this small role in Haywire he essentially gets like one scene in Haywire. It's supposed to be Soderbergh's last movie. And apparently, somebody at a QA at a talkback for Haywire was just like, Is there anything that would, you know, will bring you back to directing? And he said, Yeah, Channing Tatum's stripper story. I would do that. Mm -hmm. And apparently, Channing Tatum like saw that and was just like, Ring, ring, hello. And like, and they decided (laughs) to make this. But so, because it was this stripper movie, I think we talked a little bit about this with Burlesque, where like when Burlesque was announced, And it was like Cher, Christina Aguilera in a movie called Burlesque, and everybody just sort of just like laughed at the premise, but were like Mm -hmm. super interested. And I think that was the same thing with Magic Mike, where it was just like, oh, the Channing Tatum stripper movie, that's going to be like wild. But I don't think anybody expected it to be good or like Mm -hmm. great. And then Soderbergh jumps on, and everybody's like, hmm, I don't know what to make of this. But Soderbergh's
1: career you know, is it, well, sort Soderberg of felt so enough. removed from the promotion of this movie at the same time, too, because it mm-hmm. was so actively pursuing, like, 25 to 55-year-old women for its audience in terms of, like, look at all have. these hot dudes, the posters just, like, them stripping, right. to the point that, like, a lot of people showed up for this movie and thought that there would be more stripping, <laughs> or...
0: I think even at the time, if you read, like, interviews and stuff like that, I think Tatum was just like, or when they're making uh, when they're doing the interviews for Double XL one of the mm-hmm. things Tatum says is just like, I think Double XL is the movie that a lot of people thought that Magic Mike was going to be. Where a lot of people showed up and just wanted it to be like Um, Mamma Mia, Here We Go Again, but with male strippers, which is (laughs) sort of just like, you know, of crowd-pleasing extravaganza. And then you see Magic Mike, and it's just like, oh, this is very decidedly a Steven Soderbergh movie. And I think some audiences were probably disappointed by that, but I think critics loved that. And the Mm -hmm. movie still made a ton of money. So all of a sudden, you have this movie, Steven Soderbergh directed it, obviously Steven Soderbergh's a Oscar-winning Best Director. He's an Oscar unicorn. He's nominated twice in Best Director, which never happens, and he wins for Traffic. And so, we've talked about before, about how if you are a director who is stamped with the approval of a Best Director win, the rest of your career is sort of viewed through that lens, at least expectationally. But Soderbergh spends essentially the better part, uh, or over a decade, really, between uh, 2000 and 2012, really almost like actively shunning the idea of Oscar Buzz, where he either makes these really crowd pleaser Oceans movies, and even the Oceans movies, the second one is trying to be a French farce. So, like, it's not like Oceans 11 is a pure popcorn crowd pleaser perfect movie. But then I think the rest of his 2000s, the rest of his aughts, are, I would say, intentionally going against the idea of making oscar bait
1: maybe with the exception of and it's not oscar bait because it was tv but i would say maybe the exception being behind the candelabra
0: right but and candelabra isn't until what year that's 2013
1: same year right so no next year next
0: year Right. So I think, but I think if you're talking about that space between 2000 and 2012, where it's like, let me just sort of like run it down because it's kind of fascinating. Ocean's Mm -hmm. 11 in 2001, then downshifts to full
1: frontal and Solaris. In 2002, like you could Solaris, not have. Solaris, one of the most loudly hated movies of my lifetime. Full right. frontal was like famously one of the first ones to be shot digitally. And he's with got like these huge Julia Roberts stars. In the worst wig.
0: That's the thing. It's like he's he's casting Julia Roberts. He's, he's casting George Clooney in these like almost actively anti crowd pleaser movies. Mm-hmm. They're so like full fr- Full frontal, I kind of hate. Full frontal looks like garbage and. It's just, like, this collection of
1: name actors being
0: kind of repulsive and
1: awful. Yeah, like, it's kind of vignettes. I don't think I could tell you what that movie is about. Solaris is at least
0: wonderful and gorgeous. And, like, again, Clooney's in that. Clooney Booty. Natasha McElhone's in that movie. Viola Davis. Yeah, Clooney Booty good job, good uh, good call. But again, you're right, like, cinema score is, like, F-minus. Like, everybody hates Solaris. Um, Ocean's 12, as I said, is Ocean's 11, but what if it's a French farce? It's so stylized. I really didn't like it at first. I'm willing to probably give it another shot, because everybody kind of is like, oh, it's the best Ocean's movie. I think they're wrong, but whatever. Um, bubble, pure, you know, experimental sort of mm-hmm. Good German I guess is probably Oscar Buzzy but even still his version of Oscar Buzz
1: is like let's do a super stylized black and white Casablanca yeah. This years. is what I was going to say about some of these is that like even the ones that would qualify as Oscar Buzz and Good German is a score nominee I believe You're right um, I think you're right so like that's a movie we couldn't talk about but um, But it's absolutely even these one ones that we that... can talk about as an exception because like it does
0: Sure you know it it typifies that kind of you know, expectations versus results thing that we.
1: Anything about. that falls under like Oscar buzz type of things, like there's something about the movie that is so actively working against that happening yeah. or like things that were predicted. It was like, we predicted that until we saw the movie. And like, I think of the informant as, is a good example of that. Yeah. Uh, Again, hyper movies that are yeah. coming out that it's like, of course a Che Guevara biopic makes perfect sense, but it's like a five che Guevara hours biopic long that split is into so, two movies. Right.
0: It's so long that it has to be split into two, two hour plus movies. Um Informant in 09. The girlfriend experience back to like experimental um whatever He f- makes sort of them for no night. money. Right, no money stars an actual porn star. Um Haywire in twenty eleven, which it's just I think twenty eleven is he's creeping back to making movies that are, like, crowd-pleaser movies, they're not exactly, like... It's not like he's pandering. But I think mm-hmm. both Haywire and K- and Contagion in 2011, which are both very good movies, um, are him sort of, like, creeping back into, like, oh, I'm gonna make movies that people would plausibly pay money to see in a theater.
1: Mm-hmm. And... I mean, it probably helps him still get the funding for his more experimental things. Totally. Um,
0: and that's supposed to be the end, right? He's, you know, makes a big deal about how this is the end. And then Magic Mike is... The you know the bonus movie and he keeps sort of like he makes, um, candelabra as you said in thirteen and side effects in thirteen and then he really does with the exception of making the nick on television, um, he's out of movie theaters for four years before Logan Lucky and whatever, Um, but Magic Mike is such an interesting it's such a Soderbergh movie like for as Mm -hmm. much as it is the Channing Tatum stripper movie. And as much as it becomes the Matthew McConaughey, like the McConaughey's linchpin, it's still you watch it today and it's so very much a Soderbergh movie. It's, it's thoughtful and it's um, stylized, but in this like not really ostentatious way, but it's like, it doesn't give you this kind of, um, bright gleaming you know you came here to watch strippers and that's the whole show there's so much of this movie that isn't the stripping scenes i think i would say for good or ill i think double xl being the much more straightforward this is the stripper movie you came to see Mm
1: -hmm.
0: as i think a big part of the reason why a lot of people like it better
1: than Magic I Mike. think there's still more going on in Double XL than it just being the stripper movie that you you want to see but I think what works so well with Magic Mike the original in relation to the Soderbergh thing is like everything that is going on thematically in this movie it doesn't really feel like Soderbergh is spoon-feeding it to you no, like I he agree trusts with that. to kind of just like lay it down and you can pick it up or not um Yeah so uh,
0: I think go
1: ahead. I was going to say, and it's not just like the scenes that why is Soderbergh making everything yellow, but it does feel kind of like of a piece with the Contagions, with the Ocean's Eleven movies.
0: Not I mean,
1: it feels like a lesser version of Aaron Brockovich to me a little bit. Like if this was a more expressive lead character who could kind of like had some self-awareness about his circumstance before the end of the movie, it could be a little bit more impactful. I still feel like... I like this movie a lot more than when I first saw it, but I still feel a little bit at, like, arm's length in that it's not always yeah. the most satisfying movie that it could be.
0: I think Magic Mike is Aaron Brockovich if the Aaron character is the Ed Masry character in that, like... Because Dallas is your Aaron, right? Dallas is um, outrageous and kind of, like, full of it, but also, you know... The battering ram. Right. Whereas, like, Mike is almost the Ed Masry and that, like, he's not the boss, but he's the one who's, like, nose to the grindstone, like, check in, check out. I've got, you know, ambitions to make this bigger and don't fuck this up for me,
1: essentially. It's also, this is, like, unlike Aaron Brockovich, this is kind of a hard movie to, like, place any emotion on, right? Mm -hmm. Like, uh, Aaron Brockovich to me is such an emotional movie. Um, Whereas, like, you know, this is a movie that deals with the fallout of the financial crisis in a lot of interesting ways, but, like, it never really feels like a human story to me, and maybe it doesn't want to be or need to be, but, like, I don't know. For me, like. I think because it invests a lot of that human story in
0: the Alex Pettifer character, who Mm -hmm. is kind of a dud as played by Pettifer. Like, I don't think he's an anchor dragging this movie down, but I think because Mike has to sort of share protagonist duties with Adam, we don't really see a ton of. Adam on his own sort of like dealing with shit once, his, mm-hmm. once he sort of starts to like fall off he becomes as much an impediment to Mike as sort of you know as Dallas or as anything else but, and I
1: think that the movie doesn't have as much faith in Adam as mm-hmm. say Mike does and like is very clear that like Mike is anchoring himself to a sinking ship right away that like this is a guy who's not going to go that uh, anywhere right. and it's like it I don't know it doesn't it's it's not I don't want to say comfortable to watch but like yeah it, it feels a little tedious to me but just putting the button on
0: Soderbergh for a second I think because it's I think because he's him once the movie sh- once the movie arrives and critics like it and it makes a lot of money I think mm-hmm. it's I think it's Soderbergh's presence there that allows the movie to sort of like transition into whatever Oscar buzz it had because all of a sudden this is a good movie from an Oscar-winning director. And it's just like, okay, Mm -hmm. and now all of a sudden... That
1: made money.
0: Right, and it made money. And now all of a sudden... And it wasn't really buzzed in a whole lot of areas, but where it was buzzed was uh, Matthew McConaughey in a campaign for Best Supporting Actor. It obviously didn't work out, but the timing on this could not have been more perfect because, hello, 2012 is the epicenter of the McConaughey.
1: The loved long-departed-by-now McConaissance. And it's
0: something that had been, sort of, the seeds had been planted in 2011. 2011 is when both Bernie and Killer Joe make the festival circuit. Bernie had played the Los Angeles Film Festival, the London Film Festival, and then South by Southwest in early 2012... Killer Joe had done Venice and Tiff in 2011, and then also was at South by Southwest in 2012. Both of those movies end up opening wide 2012, as does The Paperboy. And then at Cannes that year, he's in Mud, Jeff Nichols' Mud, which is another one where he really pops. I think Bernie is really the... Well, The Paperboy and Bernie are movies where he doesn't... He's not the story. He's sort Mm -hmm. of... You know, it's supplemental material. But I think...
1: um, But he's he's still doing good work that feels like of a piece. Right.
0: Well, and it's also, it's, you know, it accumulates by a magnitude, right? Where all of a sudden, Mm -hmm. if it was any one of these things, it would be, you know, that would be one thing. But the fact that it's all five of these movies within probably a 15-month period, and Mm -hmm. it's just like, oh, shit, like, this is you know, this is a thing that is happening. And The Lincoln Lawyer was sort of famously a precursor to this, where The Lincoln Lawyer seemed on its surface to just be like McConaughey making another, you know, cash grab movie or whatever. And then but he's good turns in out it, that and it was really a modest get. hit. People liked him in it, and it was a modest hit. And all of a sudden, I think there was... The ground was a little fertile for the idea of, oh, maybe we can, you know, start appreciating McConaughey again. And then it's these this five-movie bonanza in 2011 2012 and all of a sudden it's just like oh isn't it great that matthew mcconaughey a seems to give a shit again and b is getting all these really interesting roles and the the epicenter of this is magic mike because it is a not only the best role of all of them and the best performance of all of them but it is a role that feels tailor-made for McConaughey himself, he he puts so much of the very first thing you hear of him. He's sort of off stage, there, bit in the dressing room, and you hear him on stage going, "All right, all right, all right." Like it's he brings so <laughs> much of him to it. It's just like, what if Matthew McConaughey got fucking snatched, which he does for this movie, and um, decided a, to be a, a stripper thong. for that, and yeah. everything about this character is so. Smartly realized that scene towards the end where he's on the stage with the acoustic guitar
1: and the like tiki torch is the only light on stage and he's singing <laughs> the
0: song that he obviously wrote himself that Dallas obviously wrote Ladies, himself. Of
1: Tampa, song, truly, Ladies of Tampa famously Oscar eligible original song Ladies <laughs> of Tampa truly robbed. That it didn't get nominated.
0: I'm so, still genuinely
1: so better than uh, all but one of its nominees that year. Certainly
0: better than the fucking Miz song that they had. Do you remember when they performed the Miz song on the Oscars that year? And it was oh just God. like everybody. You could feel America rushing to the bathrooms. It was
1: so <laughs> like such a dud,
0: such a non-entity. Jesus Christ! This
1: was a year they didn't perform all of the songs. Right.
0: What one that year? One of the years. Twenty. Uh, Skyfall. Oh right, Skyfall's great. Like
1: yeah. yeah. Skyfall, a song from Ted performed by Nora Jones called Everybody Needs a Best Friend was performed Life of Pi had Pi's lullaby and then the other nominee from a documentary another J. Ralph nominated song from Chasing Ice Before My Time performed by, by Scarlett, Scarlett Johansson, Johansson, but not on the Oscars, which is too bad. Could you imagine if Matthew McConaughey had not been nominated, but was nominated for, for, <laughs> <laughs> for Ladies of Tampa and performed it on the Oscars? Honestly, that should have opened that Oscars. Matthew McConaughey in a leopard thong performing Ladies of Tampa.
0: It would have redeemed so much about that year's Oscars, famously hosted by Seth MacFarlane, who is really? awful. Um but that scene towards the end where he's playing that song i was just like man this movie really gets this character the self aggrandizement the the weird like the intense commitment to his job which is very admirable of him but also just like can you imagine dealing with a personality like this this is why i brought up the tiger king thing in the beginning it's just like <laughs> because tiger king you watch that series and you're just like how does anybody deal with any of these people in their real lives like how would you even like maintain a conversation with these people who are constantly talking themselves up and and hustling you on whatever like big big dreams big plans they have next and it's the one moment in the movie where i really feel like i'm on cody horn's side i know her character's name is brooke but whatever um is when they're at the sandbar party and mm-hmm. he's sort of like, he's going on and on about how, what did he say where he's going to teach his children the stock market. I'm going to teach my, when I have kids, I'm going to teach my children, the stock market and they're going to be brilliant and rich. And she's just looking at him and she's just like, I want to meet your kids one day, but it's just like totally judging him and totally like kind of repulsed by him. And it's just like, yeah, that's how I, that's I,
1: that's completely how I would have reacted to that because like, you're so full of shit. Well, here's one of the things that I think makes especially this performance so good and, like, kind of a little bit of a pivot for Matthew McConaughey, but the thing that we also don't really talk about most of the roles of the McConaughey is that he's a scumbum, really, and, like, a lot of those roles were where they have, like, even for, like, the characters that you root for are kind of dubious guys, but, like, this one's... I think the best of this era of performance for him because he's playing a villain and it maybe takes you at least through the end of the first act or maybe the second act of the movie to realize that he is the movie's villain. Right. Right. Um, and he does that so well. So it's like, it's even more like this one felt like capitalizing on what our perception of Matthew McConaughey was at the time. This was after him, like showing up naked, playing bongos on somebody's (laughs) porch. Um, but also being like a stoner while at the same time like a lust figure for a lot of women. And also so he like had it, that
0: string of bad romantic comedies where it was like how to lose a guy in ten days and failure to launch and fool's gold and all this sort of stuff where it's just like it it was a bad fit for him. Like I don't think what was the one mm-hmm. he did with Jennifer Lopez? God speaking of the Nexus of fantastic stripper (laughs) performers in the 2000s. But what was that movie? Was it The Wedding Planner?
1: Yes. Right. Where it's just like, and this is what, like, the crucial ingredient and, like, why Matthew McConaughey has, like, strayed away from it. What is missing again is this, like, undertone of darkness to it mm. Um, to yeah. what he's doing, that like kind of makes everything work, and like I know that some people are fans of the Beach Bomb. I have not seen the Beach Bomb.
0: No, nor have I.
1: And like he did play the outright devil in the abomination that was the Dark Tower. Um, also didn't see that, but also oh, he you're is for the better. Um,
0: but something like Serenity, I think, fits in exactly perfectly with the McConaughey movies. Kind Kind of, of, yeah. I mean, like, he's committed to what that
1: Bananas movie is. Yeah. Yeah. Um, He's not a scumbum in that movie, but there's a lot of his bum bum in that movie. (laughs) Is he more naked in Serenity or in Magic Mike when he's doing the splits in a thong? So, my thing, and I
0: sort of brought this up with regards to Tatum earlier, for whatever reason... I view the stripper nudity in this movie almost like it doesn't count. I know that's like dumb and like not sure how sure sure, work, sure sure sure. But sure. like it's so um, commodified and so much like and also there's that thing where it's just like everybody's all like bronzed and everybody's all like oiled up and whatever and it's all just this like you know burlesque but like literally of you know uh, of masculinity that I'm just like it's it's so silly. This is why.
1: There's a distant, like, whenever there are naked bodies on screen on a stage, there's, like, a distance to the way that it is shot that it's, like... It doesn't feel like the camera's objectifying that. And maybe because this is a movie with, like, naked men shot by straight men. I don't know. But, like... But I
0: also feel like... Because this movie is sexy, but I think the sexiest parts of this movie... Are the dancing and I know that feels like such like highfalutin like fancy schmancy. I'm not trying to be better than anybody. If like the (laughs) if if literal nudity does it for you in a stripper context, fucking go for it. But what I'm thinking is like that opening that shot in the opening number where Channing Tatum steps to the front of the stage and starts like humping the floor is so a the movie literally, like, catches fire at that moment. Like, it's I'm surprised, like, an electric current doesn't (laughs) jump off the screen at that point. Because it's such a great, just, like, get fucking ready moment. Mm -hmm. And also, it's so sexy. It's just incredibly sexy. But it doesn't feel like
1: they're being ogled by, like, the way Soderbergh is shooting the movie, the way that, like, say, the audience is ogling. And the audience's desire for them is so, um,
0: a feels accurate, but B has this tinge of humor to it because it's so over the top and everybody is just sort of right. like trying to like grab at them and paw at them and whatever. And because, you know, the dynamics of it, the, you know, whatever gender dynamics of it are as such that like, you never feel like these men are in danger. So it's just yes. like, it's just pure enjoyment. It's pure entertainment. And I think all of the stripping scenes are so creatively done and and feel like feel realistic, but also, just like all the music is perfectly chosen, all of the like the concepts, whether it's like Tarzan, or you know doing his like you know, Man of the Jungle thing, even the stuff you only see like like we never see the full Tarzan number, but just the sight of that like rope hanging from the <laughs> stage, I was just like you can see. What the whole concept is, or just you know, I don't know. It's
1: this is maybe where you lose me on the sexiness of it because like there's a corniness of it that is so accurate to like the world they're presenting, and maybe it's just like Soderbergh antisepticism, but like that is very not sexy. Oh, I know. I the whole it's raining men number where they're in like trench coats and doing like half-ass choreo. I'm not
0: saying that stuff is sexy. I'm I'm saying that stuff is really clever and well just well done
1: oh yeah 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 yeah, and uh, And entertaining like it's
0: super entertaining even if i don't find like the it's raining men number you know sexy again until channing starts humping the floor um but also the (laughs) fact that like channing tatum is a phenomenal dancer and the movie knows it and the movie deploys that at you know opportune times and that to me is the sexiest are the sexiest parts of the movie
1: Oh, I mean, well, yeah. That's maybe one of the things that I like more about Double XL is not more stripping, but more dancing. Here's the thing about Magic Mike XXL, which initially, I think which I sort Which we of, shouldn't get too in-depth with, because who knows, eventually we could talk about that movie.
0: I suppose we could. Um, I wanted to watch it before we did this, just to like get the full experience of it. Maybe I'll watch it later today. Um, I think I initially bristled at this, like, the initial reaction to Magic Mike XXL, where everybody was just like, better than the first, best movie of the year, blah, blah, blah. I think there was a lot of, like, hipster irony to the way some critics sort of embraced XXL. Um, Every time I think about it, I smile. Everything everything about it, I think, is really, really good. And the thing... (laughs) What I love about Magic Mike XXL is I imagine you know, Channing Tatum and whoever else in a room trying to figure out how we're, you know, what to do for a sequel. And somebody just sort of throws out, oh, let's make it a road trip movie. And it's just like, yes, let's make it a road trip movie. Why are they going on a road trip? And I just imagine somebody just being like, <laughs> A stripper convention? And just be like, yeah. And it's like, is that a thing? Who the fuck knows? But it's a like it's a stripper convention. Is so dumb and perfect.
1: And That's why that movie is a SAB. Very much in the way that, like you said, Mamma Mia, here we go again, where it's like, we've been especially in the summertime, we've been delivered like a decade of over seriousness. Where it's like, let's just have Stupid earnest shit, yeah. and like that can be enough. Also, you know how Cold Mountain is really the Odyssey because it's
0: like, um, ev- like their little vignettes <laughs> yes, about is. him yes. like encountering yes. he'll encounter Philip Seymour Hoffman and he'll encounter Natalie Portman and whatever. And Magic Mike Double XL feels that way too. It's just like every scene is a new like, um, fortress along the road to Myrtle Beach, <laughs> where the fuck they're going. Where it's just it's like a side quest it's, movie. It's Andy McDowell's house. It's Jada Pinkett's realm and it's almost video game-esque in that way too where it's just sort of like and now we're at level seven which is this weird house party that seems to be going on at all times like all right now we'll conquer that level and again magic mic double xl is, is animal crossing ripper convention at myrtle beach it's so fucking funny anyway um mcconaughey I think I tend to fixate on the fact that he didn't get the Oscar nomination. He got a Mm -hmm. lot of precursors, maybe more than I remembered. Big ones. the The Independent Spirit Award, which he won that year, which I want to read the field for that that year. Twenty twelve Independent Spirit Awards, because that was for a while there, the Independent Spirit Awards really became like Oscars light, and I think. Mm-hmm. it's not all the fault of the independent spirit awards i think the oscars got more indie in the 2000s anyway so i think there was a lot of like meeting in the middle but like this year at the independent spirit awards like silver linings playbook basically swept and like that was already an oscar movie so like that's not interesting
1: um, and in terms of their nominations too the nominate they have A crazy long period between nominations and their actual awards ceremony. So the nominations happen early in Mm -hmm. the season and it feels like, not like they're trying, they don't feel like an awards body that's necessarily trying to predict the Oscars, but it does feel like this is where we think the, the rest of the season is going to play out. In relation to independent In film? In some ways. Or like I think this year's... Finger quotes independent film of yeah. a certain budget.
0: This year's Indie Spirit Awards 2012 is a real interesting mix of that kind of thing that you're talking about. Where... uh it's Silver Linings Playbook and Beasts of the Southern Wild and Moonrise Kingdom because for a while there are people thought Moonrise Kingdom was going to be a Best Picture nominee.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, it has some... The it, Sessions It nominates, the Sessions faded away. Yes.
0: It nominates Bruce Willis for supporting male in Moonrise Kingdom which I think is so funny because like that's the standout performance for you in that movie is Bruce Willis. Okay. Um, he's not... So McConaughey is the only nomination for Magic Mike. Magic Mike, by the way is a Warner Brothers movie. Like, it's not an independent... It's a small budget movie, which is, I think, where I think... the They
1: made it for $7 million, which for Soderbergh these days is, like, extravagant.
0: (laughs) Right. But for as sort of, like, glitzy, glamorous as some of these, like, stripper scenes are, sometimes it's just like, oh, it's interesting that it's, you know, $7 million movie, but it's fully not from an independent studio at all. Anyway, he beats out... Uh, David Oyelowo in Middle of Nowhere, the Ava DuVernay movie that re- that for me put her on the map. She's so... It's Talk a, about a
1: sexy movie. It's
0: such a fantastic movie. That uh, also nominated that year in Lead Actress was Emiatze Coronaldi, who is the lead of Middle of Nowhere, who rocks, and Lorraine Toussaint Incredible. as supporting female. And great set of nom- like The fact that they recognize that movie to that extent is fantastic. Um... Michael Pena for End of Watch, the movie with him and Jake Gyllenhaal, that got really great reviews. Sam Rockwell for Seven Psychopaths, the original Rockwell-Martin McDonough um, joint. And, as Mm -hmm. I mentioned, Bruce Willis for Moonrise Kingdom. So nobody in that category was Oscar nominated. And I think that's when, you know, the spirits are... Able to just sort of like do interesting things and not re- because normally if you have like four people who aren't nominated for the Oscar that year and one who is, that one who is will usually win if only because mm-hmm. they've just had more attention. Like there's just like you know, if no if you don't have any strong feelings either way, you just sort of like you know that's where your attention's
1: going and. And another thing is, too, like about the Independent Spirit Awards, if you pay to become a Film Independent member, you can vote on these awards. We really like, do if you want to shill out the money there. for it. But, like, yeah. that's one of the reasons why I think their actual winners lean more populist.
0: I think that's true, which is kind of a bummer because what the best thing that the Independent Spirit Awards do is, for me at least, is introduce me to movies that I might not have already seen. And you still see that in the 2012 nominations at some point like julia lochdev gets a best director nomination for the loneliest planet i wouldn't have seen the loneliest planet if that hadn't gotten uh independent spirit award nomination so like that's very cool it's interesting to me that this is that uh iris Axe was nominated this year for keep the lights on it's the Hell only yeah. best director nomination he's gotten at the spirits and that's wild to me, because I like Keep the Lights On, but it is absolutely the least of his directorial efforts for me. Like, when you compare
1: it to... And he's had Best Picture nominees with them before, because I'm pretty sure Love is Strange was Best Picture at the film. I think you're right. At the film Spirits, yeah.
0: Yeah, but, like, yeah, Love is Strange is a better movie, Little Men is a better movie. And, I don't know, it's just interesting, but they're, they're, the one of the charms, I think, of the Spirits is that kind of... No rhyme or reason thing. It's tough to, it's tough to you know, anticipate them or, or figure them out. McConaughey though was nominated for Magic Mike as I said, and also Killer Joe in the lead category. Killer Joe is not a movie that I love. McConaughey's good in it, and that's fine. Um, but he wins for Magic Mike, rightly so. I think it's a great acknowledgement of the fact that it's one. It was one of the like definitional performances of that year. He has a very Mm -hmm. sort of, like, good and you know, nice acceptance speech. I think that went a long way towards laying the groundwork for him having the awards run in 2013, when he ends up winning the Oscar for Dallas Buyers Club. Um, But he also wins New York Film Critics Circle, Supporting Actor. He wins National Society of Film Critics for Supporting Actor. And then doesn't even get a golden globe nomination for magic mike which i think is strange just because he's a he's a star don't they like stars didn't they not wait they didn't nominate him for tropic thunder that was tom cruise right
1: yes yeah. i'm kind of curious i i should look this up and see what the warner brothers movies were that year because i do think this kind of goes back and the same is true for contagion a little bit of Soderbergh doesn't want to play the Oscar game anymore. He doesn't want to do anything so it's like those movies do not get pushed. So it's like if Warner Brothers has something else that they can promote for Oscar, or push for Oscar, that's what they're going to lean into because like Magic Mike could have had a mightier campaign to say the least and Contagion like they didn't Campaign that movie until the very end of that Oscar cycle when, like, all of their contenders kind of bottomed out with critics and audiences. Um, But, like, I think that's one of the reasons because, if anything, Magic Mike should have been a Best Picture Comedy nominee. I'm. Don't you think? I don't know if I would agree with that. I think it's much more dramatic than it is comedic. I don't know. You have a lot of the I mean like yes towards the end of the movie sure, but like I don't know. You have the scene I almost Matthew define it as a teaching musical Alex more than a comedy. how to dance.
0: I think yeah, that's I still would I still would probably bristle at the idea of it as a comedy. But I mean, you're not wrong that it, you know, is a genre blend in there. I wonder what IMDb what marks IMDb says comedy uh, comedy drama, so
1: yeah. I mean, it's it's complicated, but like you would see them campaigning it as a comedy, right?
0: Yes, and I would probably bitch about it. <laughs> it's probably
1: <laughs> how it would go. Um, but but I think... like, if they had really actively pushed it, I, I mean, we could probably look up what they did. Yeah, submit it as. It wouldn't and have like, made a difference for even...
0: McConaughey though, because McConaughey's no. still going to be in supporting, and they don't differentiate. But it seems and drama like there.
1: the type of movie that if a pr- major precursor is going to go for, it would be the Globes, is what I think I'm getting at.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's probably true.
1: Um, who the was he nominated that... against? I'm looking up who he was nominated against with Critics' Choice because they mm. nominate six sometimes. So that was the year, while you look that up, that was the year famously that all
0: five supporting actor nominees at the uh, the Oscars were previous Oscar winners. That was Christoph Waltz, who won for Django Unchained, De Niro for Silver Linings Playbook, Alan Arkin for Argo, Philip Seymour Hoffman in The Master, and Tommy Lee Jones, who would have been my vote, uh, in Lincoln. At the Globes, they didn't nominate De Niro, but they did nominate Leonardo DiCaprio for Django. um, Because can't get enough of that incredible discomfort of them nominating both of the white actors in Django Unchained Mm -hmm. Um, and I remember thinking at the time oh if the Globe nominees end up being the Oscar nominees, you've got four previous winners, and then DiCaprio, who had famously never won. I think if DiCaprio gets nominated
1: for the Oscar, I think he probably wins, even with the mm-hmm. internal competition with Christoph Waltz. I even wonder if Samuel L. Jackson had been nominated, if Samuel L. Jackson would have finally won. I think it's a he's very... probably my favorite performance in that movie. Mm-hmm. Um, that I don't like. I don't but, either. Um, yeah, but yeah, but I think it's... I think it doesn't have an Oscar. I think it's a
0: powerful uh, motivator when you have four people who have already won and then one who hasn't. Um, Mm -hmm. And so it it, it doesn't shake out that way. Because it's five former winners, I think that really allows them to just be like, well, we like Christoph Waltz and we like that character, so let's vote for him. And all of a sudden now Christoph Waltz has two Oscars and everybody is just like, what? Um, In a cosmic sense. I think it makes sense that year because that was a. Two Oscars for Tarantino movies. Yeah, that's what I mean. It's just like, that's even, you know, the other, I think it's always, it's an interesting thing that we have these double Oscar winners who a lot of people are just like, huh, I would have never put that person in the realm of somebody who needs multiple Oscars. Like Blanchett makes sense as a double Oscar winner. Streep as a three-timer, yes. But like Hilary Swank, uh, Renee Zellweger... Sally Field,
1: even even though I love Sally Field, but it's strange that Sally Field has two Oscars.
0: Even somebody, it's only like,
1: because of places in the heart that people feel that way. Her second Oscar could have been for Lincoln, if you ask me. Sure, but I just think
0: I think cosmically
1: when you're just like name the
0: like the elite actresses. I feel like you I don't, don't think
1: Sally Field is weird to have two.
0: Okay, um, amazing. I don't like trust me I love Sally Field but what I'm yeah, saying yeah, is yeah, like yeah. it's not like you go like you know Hepburn streep field like you know what I mean like it's not quite that even even Jodie Foster
1: I think is an odd person to have two Yeah posters. I understand what you're saying. I anyway. think the Jodie Foster and Sally Field thing is that they don't actually have as many movie credits as you think they might and that's probably why And it the feels other thing is
0: way. all of those doubles happen within a generally short time frame right yes we're yes. like foster wins same with Christoph waltz years. too
1: it's like yeah i i guess it's maybe what would that be like one year or two years different than like kate blanchett has but like she has one in supporting one in lead well, so it's like both of her oscars feel different blanchett like, was nine so, years apart
0: whereas like vaults was three so
1: like yeah it's a yeah it's, yeah
0: it's a difference
1: uh it, it, that's a it, yeah, like that's a that year of everybody already being nominated and like how other pe- how people felt about the movies at large in that category was strange. It was a lot of people that like we weren't really willing to I'm thinking of De Niro and Alan Arkin, where it's like, we're not probably going to yeah. give that movie an Oscar for this. Oh. You know, like the can I jump
0: back to Independent Spirit for, like, half a second? Because I wanted to yeah, shout out... Yeah, and then I'll
1: do the Supporting Actor Critics' Choice one.
0: I wanted to lineup. shout out the Supporting Female nominees at that year's Spirit Awards. Because Helen Hunt wins for the Sessions. But, like, I think this... Honestly, this field could have been my own top five. With, like, I liked Helen Hunt. Probably wouldn't have made my top five. But it's also Rosemary DeWitt in Your Sister's Sister. Fucking love that Great. movie. And I love Rosemary DeWitt. And Dowd in Compliance. Famously ran her own campaign that year. Um hmm is amazing in that movie. That was the first thing I had... It certainly wasn't the first thing I had seen and out in because if you go back... Ann Dowd is like the Jack Nicholson in The Shining of actresses, where it's just like, you go back through all the old photos and she's there, which <laughs> she's I guess there. is also what happens in Hereditary, is <laughs> you go back through all the old photos and Ann Dowd's there. But her career <laughs> is like that, too, where it's just like, wait a second, Ann Dowd is in this movie, Ann Dowd is Ann in that Dowd movie. Ann Dowd is great in
1: she's Philadelphia. Al- she's
0: always been there. She's, you know, look around, your, look around you, and she's always been there. Um Brit Marling and Sound of My Voice. You know how much I love Brit Marling and you know how much I love Sound of My Voice.
1: I love this so <laughs> reed noted Brit Marling stand one this of my favorite things so about much.
0: You. She's so good and creepy and off-putting in this movie. And then as I mentioned Lorraine Toussaint in Middle of Nowhere. Like if I bring up my which I'm going to do my own list that year, I bet you at least 3 of those women are on my list. Lorraine Toussaint would be a great winner in that category. Oh, I think she might have been mine that year. Like, she's so phenomenal in that movie. That is an actress who, mm-hmm. again, Lorraine Toussaint's also that, where it's just like, she's been in everything. Like, you've seen her in 8 Billion Things, and that's a movie 8 that
1: f- Billion Things, probably most famous for the second season of Orange is the New Black for playing... Right. Was it the second season or, like, the third season? No, it was the second season. Where she played V. Yeah, she was the big villain in that. But, like, she yeah. had been, like, someone's
0: mom or someone's wife in so many movies, and finally she gets this, like... And again, she's the mom in Middle of Nowhere, but it's such a juicy mm-hmm. role. Okay, so... My... Uh, God, it's so chaotic. <laughs> my 20 my list for 2012 supporting actress because again i'm a dork who keeps uh track of this lorraine toussaint nominee middle of nowhere and Dowd nominee compliance Britt marling is my winner shut up um and then i also have sarah silverman i love you so much sarah silverman and take this waltz oh
1: yes
0: and then not a winner but could have been salma hayek and savages let me remind you that if I had to I wouldn't have a problem cutting both their throats
1: truly my most chaotic year ever <laughs> you you do ride hard for and I do and,
0: uh, savages. That's, I'm sorry that's a bulletproof list as far as I'm concerned I, love I don't
1: have my list pulled up but I can guarantee you my list would be way more boring um, oh I'm sure it would be interesting but like that's a great year for supporting actress like that's Amy Adams Oscar
0: nominee for The Master great Jennifer Ely Zero Dark Thirty great um, yes why do I have a net bending and ruby sparks? That's really funny. I'm like my long list, that's so like she's good
1: in that movie. I don't even movie. remember like, her in that movie. She's. But I like um, the movie.
0: Is she maybe one of their mothers? I know she and like Antonio Banderas have like a relationship in that movie, which is like kind of amazing. Oh god, Isla Fisher and Bachelorette, which I would stand up for
1: today. Yeah, I think Isla
0: Fisher so good in Bachelorette. Anyway. You were looking up something while I was running my mouth about. I was gonna
1: mention the supporting actor lineup from Critics' Choice: Christoph Waltz, Mm, not the Oscar nominee or Oscar winner, not even nominated. That's probably because Django Unchained was such a late arrival. It was, yeah, it was Best Picture nominated with Critics' Choice, but uh, not a whole lot of nominations elsewhere. uh, Probably because they saw it very very late. Mm. Uh, Their winner was Philip Seymour Hoffman also nominated Alan Arkin, Robert De Niro, Tommy Lee Jones from the Oscar lineup. So all the Oscar nominees except for the eventual winner was nominated at Critics' Choice. Their so other there two... there five? Oh, there were two, okay. No, there were six. Their other two was Matthew McConaughey for Magic Mike, and then the one who I think was probably sixth place for the Oscar lineup is Javier Bardem for Skyfall.
0: Oh, so you think he would have been sixth and not DiCaprio? Probably. Yeah? I remember there being a lot of... Late breaking momentum for Skyfall. And that, like, I I remember as especially because BAFTA. That morning, I think a lot of people expected Skyfall to get a Best Picture nomination.
1: Judy Dench.
0: Judy Dench was mentioned as a supporting actress contender, and Bardem definitely was a supporting actor contender, you're right. And ultimately, it doesn't get those top of the line. Although it did end up winning song, and also didn't it tie for uh, sound effects with Zero Dark 30? yes at the oscars that year was right
1: skyfall that tied with zero And did it 30? win
0: let's see hold on skyfall no. ends up winning no uh
1: i don't remember correctly but yeah javier bardem was even nominated for um again christoph waltz not nominated uh javier bardem was even nominated by sag
0: javier i bardem think he nominated. was sixth place that's so wait so who were the five in sag
1: Tommy Lee Jones wins Alan Arkin Philip Seymour Hoffman Robert De Niro
0: So Waltz wasn't nominated in either Critics' Choice or SAG Wins the Globe
1: I don't don't think SAG Got to see Django Unchained That's interesting
0: Yeah Skyfall wins Best Original Song uh, For Adele and then In a tie for Sound Editing Skyfall and Zero Dark Thirty Both uh, won which was nice. the last? It's the only tie of my lifetime. Oscars. Ties are kind of cool. They're very cool because the thing about the Oscars is, it's got to be a exactly tie. a tie. Like it has to be like you know some like in for 7,000,
1: seven thousand, eight thousand people have to result in a tie.
0: Right. Like at the Globes, I think it's if you are within a certain number of votes or whatever you get, whatever, eight nominees. Do you know what I mean? How, like, the Golden Globes yeah, are sometimes yeah, yeah, just, like, yeah. eight billion nominees or whatever. The Oscars, it has to be an exact tie. And, like, that's amazing with, that, with those kind of numbers. Yeah, the, famous, the most famous tie, of course, is Barbara Streisand and Catherine Hepburn for The Lion, Lion in winter. the Winter. My favorite.
1: The winner, it's a tie. The winners are Catherine Hepburn in Lion in the Winter and Barbara Streisand. To bring it back to Magic Mike, especially like Matthew McConaughey not getting in, like, at this point, the McConaughey already feels like a talking point where it's like, if it was the year prior, it, you know, we probably wouldn't have been like, oh, Matthew McConaughey for Magic Mike. But now it really feels like something that is almost fully out of the oven baked and it, it, I mean he's not going to be nominated for like Killer Joe where he literally right. like sexually assaults someone with a chicken wing like that's not going to be an Oscar nominee um, Yeah, God, I hated it. but at the same time like it, it, I think what it is that's keeping him and the movie out of the conversation aside from how aggressively this would have been campaigned is that it's the same thing we saw with Hustlers. People just think of it as a stripper movie and this yeah. was like an easy movie to like cast aside when you can't lend it. Maybe if the narrative truly had become this is a movie about the economy, this is about the financial crisis. Here's what like I will... They could have really pushed that because even remember Silver Linings Playbook, they're like this is a movie about mental illness. But I think um, with
0: both Magic Mike and Hustlers, Critics did try to push that angle, and I Mm -hmm. think ultimately uh, Oscar voters proved resistant to it. I will say, we talk about um, snob appeal sometimes. Probably not enough, because I think that's a huge factor when it comes to Oscar voting in terms of... like
1: Because if you are a movie like A Silver Linings Playbook, that might appear weaker on the snob factor. Like, what the campaign's narrative is they try to push something that is serious, even if it feels disingenuous. And
0: I think the bummer to me is when you talk about both Magic Mike and especially Hustlers, I think Hustlers gets more Oscar attention if the f- the female characters, both the lead and supporting, um, had suffered more. And I don't mm-hmm. want that in that movie. Like, the movie, I, th- I mean, Hustlers is perfect as it is. But I think if the Jennifer Lopez character in hustlers suffered had like terrible things happen to her really sort of like um was broken down in that movie i think oscar voters probably respond to it better because that's what they it fits their like moral framework better in a gross way and it um probably fits their idea of oscar-worthy acting because a lot of the great the greatness of Jennifer Lopez and Hustlers is that she's a fucking strong character and she's a fucking Mm -hmm.
1: boss in that movie. And she's complicated, too. Like, you don't like her at every point of the movie. Like, you can feel her, like, morals being complicated. But you don't ever
0: feel sorry for her in a way that I think Oscar voters want to be able to you know, sympathize and whatever with... Mm -hmm. I guess I
1: may be, like, drawing a pretty simplistic
0: character uh, of Oscar voters. Sure, and, like, you
1: uh, could draw really simplistic lines in comparing these movies too. I think Hustlers does a lot of the thematic things that Magic Mike is also doing better than Magic Mike does, um, to a big degree. Um, but, yeah, like, in terms of the snobbiness, and, like, it feels like if you're going to go to certain territory, Oscar feels like you have to moralize in a way. Like you look at like, something like Boogie Nights,
0: where like Julianne Moore gets nominated for Boogie Nights, but Julianne Moore like loses her kids in that movie. Breakdown. Do you know what I mean? Just like, yeah, she has yeah. this like Yeah. And like I mean, and Burt Reynolds, whatever, like men and women are different or whatever. But like you don't see weirdly, um Mark Wahlberg get nominated for that movie, even though, you know, because he's the person who brings a lot of comedy to that movie. Do you know what I mean? it's yeah. just, like, I think that character, he has that scene where he gets the shit kicked out of him or whatever, but the movie doesn't really linger on that. The movie doesn't give Wahlberg this, like, battered and It's bloody, kind of the climax Oscar-bane of the movie,
1: of but,
0: yeah. it's It's not like you see him just, like, sort of, like, weeping and penitent in that movie, and I think grossly enough because Julianne Moore loses her kids in that movie and is essentially punished I think it allowed Oscar voters to give her a lot of sympathy Mm -hmm. you know I'm not picturing a very I'm not painting a very flattering picture of all of this but I think that's
1: you know, no I mean like we talk about some of the we're here to, this is what we do we, we hold up
0: a mirror to Hollywood is what we do here on this podcast <laughs> <laughs> um, what else about this I, I, I put the snob appeal thing under why uh, this failed I think ultimately supporting actor was probably a tough field to crack for, for you know a character playing a stripper in you know, in this climate,
1: I think but, if the narrative around Matthew McConaughey, like especially in supporting actor, I think sometimes that's a category that's vulnerable towards like villains. Um, and maybe it was like the villain narrative was taken up by Javier Bardem, unsuccessfully. And Dallas that is year. such
0: a, not, a non-traditional villain, too. Yeah, but one he of the more compelling ones. Mustache. Like if
1: they had if. Matthew McConaughey's performance had been discussed and promoted as like a really interesting, funny, entertaining villain. Mm -hmm. I think that could have maybe gotten him a little bit closer, but... I think ultimately the world is a better place if McConaughey gets
0: his rewards for Magic Mike and not Dallas Buyers Club. I think that's the thing we have all sort of agreed upon as a culture at this point though, right? Yes. Because also if in a perfect world mcconaughey gets nominated for the oscar he's the only non-winner he somehow miraculously wins in like this alternate universe that is better then dicaprio i think ends up winning for wolf of wall street in 2013 and then i was having this conversation with uh with griffin newman on text uh the other day uh Last night, in fact, um, previous guest Griffin Newman and I was like, "Who wins in 2015 if DiCaprio has already won for Wolf of Wall Street in 2013?" And we kind of couldn't come up with anything better than I guess Matt Damon for The Martian because like the really that was a probably
1: to be honest, I think that's true.
0: That's a best picture nominee. I think I think without DiCaprio. Because that narrative was all year. DiCaprio's going fi- to... Can DiCaprio finally win? Is this the one that's going to do it? I think without yep. that, I think you're able to build a narrative for Damon that uh, that is, you know, not this... That movie
1: was huge. It felt like... And he
0: had never won an acting award. And even still, it's not the same narrative as DiCaprio, but it's like a narrative. And certainly, the Oscar voters liked The Martian better than they liked Steve Jobs,
1: and better than they liked Trumbo. You know what I mean? I mean, you could see them going for Eddie Redmayne again.
0: I don't know if I could. I don't know. I mean,
1: that movie was so despised, rightly, and... Yeah. But the other I, thing... I, it, it feels like that's maybe the other alternative, but I, I think... I do think if DiCaprio already has an Oscar, and like that was so much of what the whole year's narrative was, I think maybe if you don't have this utter certainty that this actor is going to be getting this award, it does shake up the field to maybe let in some other people.
0: I think that's true. I still think DiCaprio gets nominated. I do think. But what sure. I also said to Griffin was, I think George Miller wins director that year then. I think The Revenant becomes a lot less of a thing without the narrative of DiCaprio's Oscar, and I think that clears the way for Miller to win director from Ma- uh, Mad Max Fury Road.
1: That ceremony was such a tease, too, because the whole buildup of the night really made you think that there was a possibility that George Miller could actually pull it off. But it hit this wall of Mad Max trajectory through the night where it's like it won its last award and you could feel it winning its last award after... How many did it get? Six?
0: Uh, I thought it was five, but um, Fury Road wins six. That's wild that it won six and not... uh, director or picture I'm so glad that Spotlight I'm glad that Spotlight won Best
1: Picture Spotlight bookending that ceremony
0: but yeah I think without the revenant there to write that narrative because again the big part of that movie's narrative was the arduousness the the, you know the scope of it all and I think that's a little bit less of a thing and also Iñárritu had already won the year before so it would have been easy to let that sort of ease up a little bit and I think the other thing that I said was I don't think Tom Hardy gets a supporting actor nomination if DiCaprio's not on his march to win that year either. So I think you probably, probably get someone fair. like an Idris Elba for Beasts of No Nation, who famously won the SAG that year and then didn't get nominated for the Oscar. I like to play what-ifs. It's <laughs> fun.
1: The Matthew McConaughey one is more interesting. I mean, uh, is uh, an Oscar for Magic Mike would be a better... Oscar than an Oscar for Dallas Byers Club. I think, I think right. he's really good in Dallas Byers Club aside from all of that movie's problems. I wouldn't give I don't him an Oscar think he's it, bad though. in Dallas Byers Club. It
0: it still feels um y in a way I don't love. Do you know what I mean? Where it's just like he's got AIDS, he lost weight, let's throw, you know, awards at him kind of thing.
1: I know that are uh, the reputation of Jean-Marc Vallée like had an upswing and now it's back on a downswing but like I do think that Jean-Marc Vallée makes those kind of movies and makes them more interesting than a lesser director would make them
0: two awards that Magic Mike ended up receiving in 2012 that I want to talk about one of them we're going to dip back into the mtv movie awards as we occasionally do this was this was the point where the mtv movie awards had fully gone off the rails and was already in the throes of this like multiple year swing where everything went to twilight everything was fan voted and the fans were all up in twilight and so it was twilight and the hunger games for the better part of like seven years right Um, but so their categories were basically, I think sometimes they just like every year was like a new weirdo category and Channing Tatum was nominated for best shirtless performance. Do you, did you look this up? Did you, did you see who the, I'm looking it up now. Taylor Lautner wins for twilight breaking dawn part two. So this was the end of the, the twilight, (laughs) (laughs) of twilight's reign. Right. Um, Skyfall for Daniel Craig, which is interesting because the big shirtless moment for Daniel Craig in the Bond franchise is it Quantum of Solace where he's stepping out of the water in the little powder blue um, square cut trunks? I
1: do think that's Casino Royale. Is that Royale. Casino Royale?
0: Whatever it was, like that's your that's your Daniel Craig best shirtless moment.
1: Isn't sure. S- is Skyfall the one, or is that also Casino Royale where his shirtless moment is him like getting like? Genital torture? That's also to Casino it. Royale. That's Matt's okay. Mickelson um, cool. working over his ball sack. Um,
0: the Dark Knight Rises, Christian Bale, which I never find Christian Bale sexy in those Batman
1: movies. Isn't his he's like shortless moment when he's climbing up that pit
0: wall? Yeah, probably. Oh I God, don't know. I never, I never I so never quite stupid. see it. I've, I've found Christian Bale sexy at times, but like not as Batman. I don't know. Um one of them is Seth MacFarlane and ted and i'll just pull a lucille bluth i don't understand it and i won't respond to it i don't i I I saw ted because i had to see all the oscar nominees and fucking ted was nominated
1: i'll pull a laura dern marriage marriage story we don't accept it accept it spiritually and we don't accept it structurally
0: (laughs) yeah right exactly uh i'll take a june diane raphael uh i'm not taking this on at this moment (laughs) uh clearly i think your winner deservedly is channing tatum i know like I'm not going to begrudge poor Taylor Lautner because, like, what does he have at this point but his best shirtless performance, MTV Movie Awards? So, like, I don't want to take it away from him. And, like, if that boy had any talents, it was being shirtless. So, fine. But I think Channing Tatum's your rightful winner here.
1: That's the night of the SAG Awards this year where Leah Michelle posted the photo of herself. Cradling her SAG award on her couch <laughs> while watching. I really need Taylor Lautner
0: <laughs> to tweet
1: a photo of his MTV movie award while he's watching.
0: Is the it MTV still golden TV popcorn? Movie? I hope it is.
1: I hope so, since it became TV as well.
0: I know. I know, but people can still eat popcorn in the comfort of their own home.
1: I mean, I've been doing lots of it (laughs) while we've not been leaving our homes.
0: The other random award that, uh, random nominations, not winning these. I don't know why Magic Mike couldn't pull these off. Anyway, new now next award for cause you're hot, not because you're hot, but cause you're hot because you know, everything's new and hip with the new now next awards. Channing Tatum for Magic Mike, nominated along with Henry Cavill, future Superman, for The Tudors, which they're not wrong. He's so fucking hot in The Tudors. Jessica Lange in American Horror Story, and I want to look up 2012 would have been Asylum? That's a weird that's a weird choice for cause you're hot. (laughs) Jessica Lange I know she does have like a sex scene Uh, in in that season, but like she's also a nun who gets like Tortured by the devil, so maybe not, or by a Nazi James Cromwell. James Cromwell is like Dr. Mangala in that movie or in that season. American Horror Story: Asylum, by the way, is the one perfect season of American Horror Story. I will say, but shit happens in that season, and it's weird that they would say it's it's because Jessica Lange's hot in that. Anyway, winner Naya Rivera in Glee. Again, I can't take issue with that. Naya Rivera is the best part of Glee, and she undeniably was hot on that show. So
1: very true but still you can't get the stripper movie even winning hot awards. awards for sexiness yes what the fuck warner brothers you dropped the ball
0: did you end up looking up and seeing what else wb had going whatever they
1: had that year hold on please i will get this All right. because what would their best picture nominees have
0: were been? they argo
1: I guess it's Argo, and they were putting everything in their Argo
0: stuff. They had enough
1: problems to deal with
0: with Affleck getting left off of the director (laughs) list. They had to really like double back and fucking hustle to get Argo the win. But it was like the
1: second that Argo was seen, everybody was like, "Boom, Argo is best picture." That was a Um, TIFF
0: premiere, right?
1: uh, Telluride. That was the Mm -hmm. no. That was the year where Telluride and TIFF started like fighting because it was supposed to be. A right. um, Tiff World Premiere and like Telluride used to do these like sneak preview screenings of whatever, right? Where, it like, doesn't count as a premiere, was. but it's like yeah. yeah. They also did it um, with Twelve Years a Slave. Yeah. Um,
0: also, I remember Silver Linings Playbook being a big Tiff premiere movie that year, where all of a sudden, because we people mm-hmm. weren't really they won the People's Choice, that wasn't really on people's radar so much. I think because that movie didn't that movie like get made very quickly.
1: That I don't know about, but, like, there were more obvious movies, because that was Weinstein Co., and, right. like, they had more obvious movies to push that year that I think people hated. Yeah. Yeah, the only other Oscar nominee, at least, that I'm seeing for Warner Brothers that year was The Hobbit.
0: Huh. So it's just Argo? Was I right that Argo is was WB? Argo
1: and The Hobbit, and then I can't figure out whatever it would have been that they had that people didn't like. Maybe I'm just conflating it with The Hobbit, but Magic Mike was not a priority in there. Well, The Hobbit... I mean, they got the nomination for Alan Arkin just for saying Argo, fuck yourself. That that tells you how much effort they put into Matthew McConaughey. The
0: Hobbit and Unexpected Journey got three Oscar nominations. Like, that's... I know that it's all in the very expected (laughs) like visual effects and sound categories, but like, nobody liked that movie. Nobody liked any of those movies, and I'm pretty sure they all got nominations at on some level.
1: I think that's true. Maybe the third one did Maybe not, because by the time not. the third one came out, but people were like, I think we're Desolation
0: done. Desolation of Smaug definitely got a visual effects nomination. <laughs> I'm just gonna keep saying Smaug. <laughs> the Desolation The of Desolation Smaug. of Smaug. Which was the only one that they had to pull from, oh no wait, Battle of Five Armies, which was originally supposed to be there and back again, right? And they were like, that's gay, Something. we're gonna make it a battle. <laughs> the whole marketing of that whole trilogy where just like, it's going to be one movie no, it's going to be two movies, no, it's going to be three and one of them is going to be called The Desolation of Smaug, and then one of them would be about a big battle between not one army, not two, not three, not four but five. It's just like, we're still not going to be excited about this (laughs) You're right though, I don't think that got nominated for anything It certainly, Battle of the Five Armies was not
1: a Okay Battle of the Five Armies, Desolation of Smaug, There and Back Again, An Unexpected Journey. Jujubee's Journey, I'm Still Here. (laughs) 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 Okay, no, 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 no. The Hobbit subtitles give them to this year's Best Picture nominees. Obviously, Desolation of Smaug is Les (laughs) Miserables, Desolation of Smaug. I would say Argo, There and Back Again. (laughs) Wait, okay,
0: we're doing the 2012 nominees?
1: Alright. Best Picture nominees. Yeah, Argo is definitely There and Back Again. That's for sure. There and Back Again. Um, You could also say Beasts of the Southern Wild There and Back Again.
0: You could also say Amor is there and back again. <laughs> no, Amor is the desolation of Smaug. Truly. like
1: yeah. Amor the desolation of Smaug. <laughs> uh, Silver Linings Playbook is the Battle of the Five Armies just for the like football explanation scenes.
0: <laughs> right, right. Um, is
1: Lincoln an unexpected journey or is Lincoln the Battle of the Five Armies? I guess Beast Army of the Southern true. Wild is an unexpected journey.
0: Yeah, I mean, in, in, in many ways, most movies... You could just Our subtitle notes. An Unexpected Journey, for sure.
1: Life of Pi, An Unexpected Journey. That actually sounds nice.
0: Yeah, it does, doesn't it? Um, Zero Dark Thirty is kind of there and back again, right?
1: Kind In of. In terms
0: of American foreign policy. <laughs> um, Yeah, what is Les Mis?
1: Desolation of Smaug. Yeah, at least for the first half of it, right? God, Les Miserables is... Wait Authentically is, one of the worst best pictures. Is Layton
0: Zerab the, the Desolation of Smaug, where Smaug is um the the student rebellion where they get that gets <laughs> desolated? Although I guess in the title of The Desolation of Smaug isn't Smaug Getting Desolated, but Smaug bringing the desolation.
1: Smaug is the pores on the faces of all of the actors in the movie getting absolutely obliterated by Tom Hooper's camera the
0: desolation of Smaug just means like Aaron Tveit's character gets killed and truly <laughs> it's the saddest part of that whole movie <laughs> I couldn't look at that gorgeous face anymore what is Django Unchanged that's the desolation of Smaug
1: uh or is, is f- it an unexpected journey I mean again they all are it's kind of there and back again life of Pi is
0: definitely there and back again yeah when and when when there and then back again is dry land <laughs> life of pi famously Thank you Richard parker life of pi famously is my favorite movie of uh, that is my is my best picture winner that year and everybody looks at me cross-eyed when i say that but all i'm saying is watch that movie again it really fucking delivers i think it's such an underrated for a movie that like won best director i think it's so underrated people think it's just this like sort of, like, Tony literary adaptation with, like, religious overtones. But it's really smart about its religious overtones. And Irfan Khan best director scene.
1: win, I think at least in the consciousness, feels so removed from, like, the movie itself. Like, it feels like that Oscar win went entirely to this technical achievement and nothing to do with, like, narrative I think, of the movie. I
0: think you are right, but I think even accidentally it ended up awarding the right movie. Sure. I know a lot of people really ride for Lincoln and Spielberg and Lincoln, and I don't think Lincoln's a bad movie, but I think... I love
1: that movie. I think love that movie. I
0: think to give Spielberg a third Best Director Oscar for Lincoln feels weird to me. When, like... And I know Ang Lee won it, it his never,
1: second. It re- never... That movie never really materialized authentic heat around it in a way that I think... All of the passion around that movie funneled directly into Daniel Day-Lewis in a way that I think is kind of unfair to the movie because I think that movie's great.
0: I think that's true. And I think that movie is a weirdly, like, a scripting triumph over everything. I know, like, it's easy to stand Tony Kushner because, like, Tony Tony Kushner... Tony
1: Kushner should have an Oscar for that movie. Full stop. That script is incredible. That is, like, textbook... I mean, like, obviously Angels in America is the textbook Tony Tony Kushner. But, like... The, everything that it's such an authorial voice of like you listen to that movie and of course tony kushner wrote it um yeah
0: the fact that chris terrio for argo beat out lincoln um i just remember a certain oscar pundit like couldn't get over that one for years and
1: kind of understandably so but uh yeah i think i know who we're talking about here and but i don't want to yes, like, like make, make,
0: yeah like Whatever.
1: Chris Terrio's writing credits afterwards, though, make that an even worse Oscar win, What
0: were though. they? I can't even think of them.
1: Uh, Batman v Superman.
0: <laughs> right.
1: Justice League. Wasn't he, like, brought the in late right of, of those? Or was, or was, that, was
0: he the, the OG on both of those? <sighs> it's
1: tough to tell I with think those he movies, is the right? OG on both of those, and then I don't know at what point he came in to Rise of Skywalker, but because Rise of Skywalker has such similar problems as both of those movies do, yeah. I'm willing to credit a lot of its problems to that writer. Here's to be something honest.
0: wild: Flight got a screenplay nomination, but not a visual effects nomination, which is utterly <laughs> for an sick, upside down plane because that's exactly the opposite of what you should be rewarding for Flight. I think that movie is <laughs> Denzel Washington gives a great performance. And that plane crash scene is goddamn terrifying and amazing. And in no way should the rest of that script be honored whatsoever.
1: You know who you could honor for that movie? What? John Goodman.
0: I don't know. John Goodman's playing a real broad
1: character. In that I just movie. think John Goodman deserves an Oscar nomination oh, at this point. He definitely people.
0: does. And the fact that he never got one for either Barton Fink or The Big Lebowski is
1: kind of crazy. Um, I mean, Big Lebowski was not a thing for Oscar at this point. No, but I mean, if we're in its years, if we're if we're we're
0: inventing nominations for John Goodman in Flight, you can allow me to invent a nomination for the Big Lebowski.
1: To put a pin on the Oscar conversation, because we should probably move on to the IMDb game at this point. We're getting up there in that time. Even though Anna Karenina won this Oscar and we both love that movie, this is a good win. Uh, A posthumous nomination for someone who I like to bring up at any moment that I can (laughs) We Stan, Aiko Ishioka. We do. Nominated for Mirror Mirror posthumously. Her final work: Mirror Mirror. Oscar winner for Bram Stoker's Dracula. Yes. Legend, icon, moment.
0: Now, come on now. All right. Uh, IMDb game. Christopher, tell the children.
1: Alright, so every week we end our episodes with the IMDb game where we challenge each other with an actor or actress to try to guess the top four titles that IMDb says they are most known for. If any of those titles... Our television or voiceover work, we mentioned that up front. After two wrong guesses, we get the remaining title's release years as a clue. If that's not enough, it just becomes a free-for-all of hints where we make it rain on hints like dollar bills all over Matthew McConaughey doing the splits (laughs) in a leopard G-string. Excellent. That's exactly
0: how I would have written it up myself. So, Chris, would you like to give or guess first?
1: I'd like to give uh, first. Okay. Someone we've talked about as someone having multiple Oscars that feel like they should not have that many <laughs> this early. Joseph for you, I have Christoph Waltz. Oh boy. Well, it's interesting Christoph Waltz probably has
0: made more movies than I'm thinking he's made, but like it does sort of feel like we're dealing with a more limited set cuz it's not even like he was an actor who had this like great like Bountiful career in Europe or whatever before he came over. He just—I mean, of feels he like worked
1: a lot, he but did. he was still unknown to American audiences. And I think he did some TV overseas. As well. But it's not like he was
0: this like beloved Euro actor or anything that like Quentin Tarantino discovered. I don't know. Um, I—it's
1: got to be. He truly has a very. Ca- if you look at the yeah. uh, his actual resume of credits, it is mind-boggling. K-hike. I almost
0: want to try and guess this four for four right off the bat, and then tell me how many I got
1: wrong. Okay, we we can we can do that. We can do that. I but I
0: honestly I feel very strongly that it's.
1: I may have picked this one to not be nice to you. Well, then you can so destroy you my just dream. throw out those four guesses. So why not?
0: My four guesses. God, what if I get all four wrong? Um, Inglorious Bastards, Django Unchained,
1: Big Eyes, Spectre. You got two. Okay. <laughs> obviously his oscar wins are there so not specter not... and not big eyes okay i will give you the years though as we've pointed out yeah. we're talking about a condensed time uh-huh. so i don't know how much that's going to help you right 2011 and 2013 is one of those water for elephants it is not fuck okay. water for elephants a movie we could do
0: was that one of those years though water for elephants
1: water for elephants was 2011 was yes 2011 okay um, 11 and 13,
0: Christoph Waltz. So not even downsizing.
1: Not downsizing. A movie that I forgot that he was in, but looking at his credits, it makes absolute sense that he is in that terrible movie. I feel that like we I may have exhausted
0: all from. of the Christoph Waltz movies that I know, which is you weird. You haven't,
1: because there's one that we have talked about doing.
0: Huh, okay. Um...
1: That is not big eyes. That is not big eyes, right? Is
0: he the villain in one or both of these? Uh,
1: the one that we've talked about doing. Maybe everyone is the villain. <laughs> oh, interesting. Um,
0: Christoph, Christoph, Christoph Waltz. Um, so it's an ensemble.
1: Yes. And he's... Small ensemble. Oh,
0: God. We do have to do this. I know there's an ick factor with the director, but we do have to do
1: this, and it is Carnage. It is Carnage! Which is 2011. Yes. Roman Polanski's God of Carnage adaptation, Carnage. We have to to do that. We
0: can, you know, whatever, devote as little time as possible to Polanski, but, like, that is such a perfect this at Oscar buzz movie.
1: I also never saw it because of the Polanski factor, and I am I loved the play when I saw it on Broadway, loved so I am play. still like somewhat curious about did it. Did you see like, the original cast? Yes, I did. Marsha Gay Harden, Gandolfini... Marsha Gay Harden, GF Hope Daniels. Davis puking all over the stage. <laughs>
0: That's such a moment!
1: So funny. <laughs> God, I love that. Okay. Uh, 2013. Oh, no, wait, I didn't... Was it Gandolfini and... Maybe I didn't see Gandolfini. I think Gandolfini might have been out or something. Well,
0: they so which role was Jeff Daniels playing because he came back to play
1: in the second cast he switched roles. Yes, he um but I think there might have been a replacement between the two. You look that um, up while
0: I ponder 2013 Christoph Waltz movie. Um all right, so in- maybe I did
1: see. No, I saw Gandalf. Did you? I saw Gandalf. Okay, yeah. Marsha
0: Gay Harden famously wanted Tony for that. Whatever, we'll talk about it.
1: when Marsha Gay our Harden episode. ripped that in half. It was so good. Yes. Um,
0: okay, so 2013 is he a villain? Uh,
1: I don't think so. He's the protagonist. This is also a director who might be the devil. Um, oh. And I will also say it is credited to 2013 because it made its festival run in 2013. It didn't get a US release, barely got one anyway, until through 2014.
0: Oh boy. And a director who's a shitty person?
1: Yes. Brian Singer? No. A director who I do not believe has any accusations against (laughs) them, but loves talking about everybody else's and how it's not a big deal. Oh. Terry Gilliam? Terry Gilliam,
0: Ooh, fuck! What was Terry Gilliam making?
1: It's not Tiedland, right? That
0: that movie? No, that kept...
1: no, that's Jeff Bridges. Right. Um, the poster is Christoph Waltz and his head projected through space. He is bald, and there's like some type of microcosm uh, Photoshop over his where his brain would be. It looks like fuck. You know,
0: do I know this? Graphic movie?
1: design is someone's passion. I
0: definitely didn't see this movie. For a while there, Terry Gilliam was just sort of like noodling into projects that like I would never see. Like that never sort yeah, of like, like ever happened.
1: I'm going to have to pass on that one.
0: <laughs> yeah. Wait, so what I'm I'm going to I'm going to give up cuz I don't think I have this title in my I head. think
1: you know what this movie is though. Um, it's called The Zero Theorem. It premiered right. at Venice in 2013. Never Because it is a Terry Gilliam movie, and those just don't exist. Even his Don Quixote movie that he finally made—I don't
0: even know if I would have connected either Gilliam or Christoph Waltz to that movie. That—that's as little
1: as it exists in my brain. It is utterly shocking to me that that is on Christoph Waltz's yes. known for. I think it's because he is first build and he is usually not. Yeah, but in still. movies,
0: man. Okay. Well, that's a fail for Yikes. me. Okay. Who do you have for me? I think you're going to be able to get this one. So we talked about Soderbergh a lot in this episode. His most recent films, last year he made two Netflix movies. One is The Laundromat, but one uh-huh. uh, is a movie that I think should deserves more attention, which is yes. called High Flying Bird, which stars the great Andre Holland in a great Aww. performance. Like, see it for that, if, if that alone
1: truly so truly. chris
0: you're gonna guess the known four for andre
1: holland i'm gonna guess high flying bird and moonlight uh one of those is correct moonlight is correct not high flying bird. not high flying bird netflix never shows yeah, up yeah. on stuff um wait is there any tv nope so no the okay. nick speaking andre of soda bird so sexy Can we just take a minute to talk about the shot of him smoking in Moonlight? In Moonlight? So, (laughs) first of all, It's genuinely not enough of that gif on Twitter. It's It's everybody's job to bring that gif back to regular rotation. It's the hottest thing. My
0: favorite thing that I ever wrote, maybe one of them at least, at Decider, was at the end of 2016 for year-end stuff, I did 2016, the year-end smoking, because that was, I loved that. It's maybe my favorite thing that I ever wrote. Where it's generally just like, I know smoking is bad, and yet look how great all these people are at smoking in these movies. And it was Andre Holland in Moonlight, Annette Benning in 20th Century Women, Kresha in
1: Kreisha. Um Wait, you keep guessing. I'm going to bring up this article because, like, I mean, no television makes this hard because he he's also in Castle Rock.
0: He's great in Castle Rock with sissy Spacek,
1: um he's in selma so i'm gonna say selma correct
0: selma 2016 the year in smoking i had both annette benning and l fanning in 20th century women when well, they smoked together natalie portman in jackie iconic uh-huh. smoking andre holland <laughs> Kreisha, <laughs> iconic smoking iconic smoking um, oh, and that was the year of the Obama movies, and I think both of the Obama movies really oh. made a point of being like Barack used to smoke.
1: <laughs> like it was the whole thing. <laughs> what a great year. Southside with you is good. I like Southside with You. I think I liked both of them. Not
0: neither one of them like super loved, but like both Barry and South Southside with You I thought were good.
1: I'm kind of at a loss here. The thing
0: about the Andre Holland shot in Moonlight is, didn't Barry Jenkins say that shot was, like, not supposed to be in the movie? That it was just, like, Andre Holland was legit taking a break and was, like, leading yeah, up against like the wall? Yeah, like, it was
1: just, like, a pickup. It randomly happened. Fuck.
0: Amazing. Alright, anyway, you're two, and you've got one wrong guess.
1: I might have to give up my other guests, because everything that's coming to me is TV. Um, I can't believe High More in, people need to watch Is High he in the Bird.
0: upcoming Barry Jenkins
1: TV series? TV show? I don't think, because um, I think, I'm trying to remember who, I know Joel Edgerton is in and it. And is that
0: thing at least finished? Because we talked so about you, that. maybe hopefully see that at some point? Like...
1: I think it's I think they just either are very close to being oh, done with filming so. or they just finished it. All right, so do you want to uh, burn a
0: guess and get the years?
1: Yeah. Okay. The years are means.
0: 2013 and 2018.
1: Okay, so something before Moonlight and something after Moonlight. Right.
0: He is not the star of either of these, but one of them is a really small role. And one of them is just, like, I think a standard supporting role. Although I can't be positive because I never saw this movie. Alright. Can I get, like, genres? Sure. One of them is a sports movie. And one of Ah. them is a uh, fantasy
1: adventure thing. Okay. So, like, a genre movie and then a sports movie. Yep. Yep. What's the sport? The sport is baseball. Is it um forty two? Forty two. The Jackie Robinson that movie,
0: movie, starring yeah. Chadwick Boseman, and directed by Oscar winner Brian Helgeland, who won his Oscar
1: for writing uh, "A Confidential." Yeah, right. and some people try to be like, let's get Harrison Ford nominated for this for, movie. Right. It's like, yeah, It's a pass, guys. Um, okay, so the fantasy movie, 42 is older, so that would have been, like, that's the 2013 movie, the 2018 fantasy movie, which I'm guessing this is the smaller role? Yes.
0: This one, he's working with of a director he's worked with before so it's essentially just like hey come be in my movie probably
1: director he's worked before I'm guessing it's not Brian Helgeland, it's not Brian Helgeland. um 20 20- 2018? 2018. Yes, that's a 2018 movie. It's Ava DuVernay. He plays, like, a teacher in A Wrinkle in Time. He's the
0: school principal in A Wrinkle in Time.
1: Very good. Oh, he's the principal. I remembered him as, like, a teacher.
0: Well, principal's a teacher. He essentially serves the same function in the
1: movie, right? Yes. (laughs) Andre
0: Holland in A Wrinkle in Time. Uh, Fantastic actor should be in many more things...
1: Wonderful. He was go in, watch High Flying Bird, everyone.
0: Yeah, he was in Sixteen Hundred Pen, which makes me even more want to go back and watch Sixteen Hundred Pen because I'd never seen it, and I do find John Lovett actually very funny now. So maybe it's a lot of Josh Gad though.
1: <laughs> ooh, ooh, ooh! It's gonna. I'm gonna have to pass on that one. But like, um, Jenna Elfman and
0: Bill Pullman as your Potus and FLOTUS is kind of an interesting idea. Anyway.
1: All right. Do we have any very final notes on Magic Mike?
0: Um, Magic Mike, I'm going to jump into my uh, notebook to see if there's anything. I mentioned the Allure of the Furniture Maker, Channing Tatum, and Olivia Munn, who I loved. Um, oh, that shot with the dick pump, I think, is, like,
1: pure art. <laughs> We're all of a sudden... Legitimately one of the great sight gags of Joe the past Joe Manganiello's just got
0: his dick in a pump, and it's just in the, the corner of the shot, but it's also pulling <laughs> all of the focus. It's fantastic. <laughs> oh, the shorts Dallas wears in the gym scene where he's training Alex Pettifer on how to gyrate are costume nomination-worthy, like, are truly something else. Uh, God Cody Horn's character is such a fucking drip um, the music choices I mentioned a little bit but like so pitch perfect and like ideal it's raining men save a horse Ride the, it's a raining Cowboy. men version
1: is like a shitty cover it is. but
0: also uh, that feels right too because I think exactly. the original raining men would have been too campy for what this outfit does
1: um, and like this shitty stripper bar would probably play the bad version of it right
0: But like, Save a Horse, Ride a Cowboy is exactly stereotypically perfect. Pony is exactly stereotypically perfect. It's just, it's well done. The pony scene, I wrote down Fred Astaire for the horny 21st century, and I don't think I'm wrong. (laughs) I genuinely don't think I'm wrong. It is that well done and memorable and fantastic. Oh, and also, I just wrote this guy's in sweatpants aesthetic, which is also absolutely correct. Like, It's like Mm -hmm. the... The porny appeal of hot guys in sweatpants, and like this movie gets it. That's all. Yeah, that's what I got.
1: How about you? Uh, uh, all of that. I also think, and we can get into this whenever we might eventually do double XL. Not anytime soon, since we just did this movie. But uh, the the this movie needs the female lust in this movie feels so anonymous and I get that the movie's doing a thing but like one of the reasons that I like Magic Mike XXL more is women.
0: I think the best scene of female lust in this movie is weirdly Betsy Brant in the bank scene where you can like tell Mm -hmm. that she's just sort of like she's in like she's sort of under his spell a little bit um, in a way that like oh this is the kind of appeal he has in the stripper you know realm but it's the
1: limits of lust too because he thinks that he can charm her into getting her on his side past like what her job requirements are and he can't anyway
0: great movie go watch it it's on Amazon Prime we chose uh, uh, all the movies during this quarantine era for their
1: accessibility so go and watch it because it's great should we tease our uh, upcoming miniseries, possibly? Oh. I'm sure by now on Twitter we will have talked or teased about it. Yes, why don't announced you? it.
0: Why don't you give it a little tease?
1: Okay, so last year we did, for the month of May, we did our first mini series. I think we're deciding May equals miniseries for us. We're going to be doing another one next month. We asked what is the
0: perfect month for miniseries, and we both said it's going to be May
1: well done joseph um this year instead of focusing on a full cinematic year we wanted to try another different experiment and we are going to be focusing on a single performer someone whose presence always gets like oscar talk generating but perhaps has had success and not as much success at the same time we will be talking for a month long about naomi watts yeah we will can't wait. We've kind of teased this before, yes. but like it was something we were kind of eager to dive in, and I'm kind of we've been eager to watch or rewatch the titles we'll be doing. We've
0: been purposefully a- avoiding Naomi Watts movies for literally a year, I think, <laughs> to prepare for this. So like, truly, the floodgates will open now, and no pun intended for The Impossible, because that was, of course. One of her actual Oscar nominations. Yeah, can't wait to delve into it. We're going to have, hopefully, some really great guests. We're going to have some really great conversations. And uh, excited for you listeners to accept the Naomi Watts
1: of it all uh, for a whole month in May. And also, I mean, just to percolate things further, we are at our 90th episode. Yes! What this will very be 100? So Who knows? Get ready for 100, guys. We're we we, we uh, we're planning something. Oh, brace yourselves.
0: Um, it's coming. So, that is our episode, though, on Magic Mike. If you want more This Had Oscar Buzz, you can check out the Tumblr at thishadoscarbuzz.tumblr.com. You should also follow our Twitter account at had__oscar__buzz. Chris has given you all the good... Teases and polls and, and whatnot. Uh, anything that's Trying ever good to. on our Twitter feed, you can credit that to Mr. Chris File. Uh, Chris, where can the listeners find you and your stuff?
1: Uh, you can find me on twitter.com at Chris V file, that's F-E-I-L. Also on Letterboxd under the same
0: name. Heck yeah. I am on Twitter at Joe Reed, Reed is spelled R-E-I-D. I'm on letterboxed as Joe Reed, Reed is spelled the exact same way. We would like to thank Kyle Cummings for his fantastic artwork and Dave Gonzalez and Gavin Mevius for their technical guidance. Please remember to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, or wherever else you get podcasts. A five-star review in particular really helps us out with Apple Podcasts visibility. So if you're horny, let's do it. Write it. A nice review. Thank you all for this week. Please don't send me to jail for doing that. We hope you'll we be back next week for more Bugs.